0: Garcia on December 28th 2016 for the MMA Ratings podcast we are joined today by a few special guests it's myself and Sean, as usual but we also have Roy Billington and we're trying to get Adam Martin in as well too but we're going to be talking about MMA uh, MMA in the end of the year uh, basically looking at some of our awards from the action that has gone down this year has been 2016 has been very interesting from start to finish so we definitely have a lot to talk about but before we jump into our categories and arguing about who wins what i'm going to give these guys a chance to introduce themselves so uh go ahead roy let us know who you are and where you can be found
1: okay um so i'm roy billington uh i was previously the grappling editor over at bloody elbow before that i was mma ratings and sportsnet.ca currently i'm with the sports post and i'm working on some other bits and pieces as we speak.
2: Uh, Hey guys, my name is Schwann Humes. You always find me on this show every Wednesday or Thursday, depending on the schedule. But I usually write on MMA Ratings. And you can find me on Twitter, live tweeting events, or just answering random questions about fighters or camp. unlike a lot of the guys here I kind of do a lot of a lot of the work I do is like consultation and strategy type scouting work for fighters amateur boxers amateur MMA fighters pro MMA fighters so I don't get as much content out as I'd like to but I'm I'm, I'm trying to get out as much as I can to kind of immerse myself in it and give it a shot and as usual you know my name is Raphael you can
0: always find my work on MMA ratings And you can find me on Fansided and um, where else, Bloody Elbow as well. Also, I talk about football a lot, football and basketball. So be sure to check out all of my work there. You can definitely find me on Instagram and Twitter too as well. So always talking about sports, majority throughout the day. And also one other individual that will be joining us today is Michael Ford. He is the head the, the mind behind the madness over um, at MMA Ratings, and he is the guy who keeps us all in check, and he'll probably be joining us about 9.30, but he'll be here to give us some of his thoughts on who are some of the greatest in the sport as well. So let's see if I can get Adam in today. Give me one second, guys. So, um So actually, let's go ahead and start. I'm going to see if I can get Adam in um, while we discuss these. So the first one, the first category we want to talk about today is Newcomer of the Year. And I want to go last on this one because I think I have a pretty interesting pick. But, um, Shawan, let's start to you. Who do you think is the most impactful newcomer, guy who stepped into the octagon for the first time during 2016? Uh, the Sorry, thing. did did you ask
2: me first? Yeah, you go ahead. You go first. <laughs>
1: Oh, sorry. Sorry, my collection is a bit bad. Uh, For me, I'm going to go with Mickey Gall. Um, Since making his debut, he's kind of, you know, he's lived up to the expectations that were put upon him. I remember watching him grapple a few years ago, and immediately I knew he was something special. Um, Obviously, his first fight was a gimme fight. Uh, He was sent in to just beat CM Punk, and he did that, and it was easy. But what really impressed me was the fact that he got to put it together and beat Sage Norcutt, who I know he gets a lot of hate, is a talented fighter. So the fact that Mickey Gall at, what, 3-0 is, is beating UFC-caliber fighters is pretty impressive to me, and I think he's my fighter of the year. Or newcomer of the year.
0: Okay, okay. I can't, I'm, I'm not going to be mad at that. That's, that's definitely a good pick. I had Funny thing is I didn't even really think of him at all. But, um, Shwan, I'm going to let you go ahead and, and jump in on this next.
2: Yeah, when I, when I say my pick, is going to sound pretty crazy. But when I'm thinking of it, I'm kind of going across the board as far as it's not as far as impact, uh, name, value, things of that nature, kind of like the the catalyst he created. And I'm actually going to say CM Punk. I mean, I don't he wasn't he's not a legitimate fighter. He didn't put on a great performance. We don't know that he has a career moving forward in the UFC. But the fact of the matter is, he's the reason we have Mickey Gall there. And he brought a lot of attention to the UFC that many legitimate signings
3: and
2: legitimate fighters haven't haven't been able to do so so can i hear you now
3: adam you guys can hear me now yes we can oh, i'm we can. sorry guys we... i had to restart my computer i don't know what happened hi guys no how's problem how's everyone going
0: everyone... no problem no problem at all sorry about that we're glad to have you in there glad to have you in we um...
3: listeners for the late, late uh, introduction here
0: yes well we're, we're going to give you a moment let me let sean swan finish his thoughts on who's the newcomer of the year then i'm gonna throw it to you
2: yeah, like I said, um, Punk's not a real MMA fighter, but the fact of the matter is he brought a lot of attention to the pay-per-view he was on. And essentially he's done what they often do in Bellator or Pride or Risen. You have a sideshow act to bring in attention to your already established acts. And he moved pay-per-view units. He had he had lots of articles in MMA websites, wrestling websites, and normal sports media websites. So he created a lot of business. He created opportunities for guys. He brought a lot of focus on Duke Rufus. I mean, single-handedly, he he might have contributed to saving the UFC's earnings in that quarter. I mean, not many people can say they had more of a fan base than CM Punk, maybe Conor McGregor. So as far as the impact he had and what he did for other fighters, I'd probably just say CM Punk. I mean, Mickey Gall, without that win over Punk, Gall doesn't get Northcutt. Gall might not even be in the UFC right now. He came in specifically to fight Punk. So... As a newcomer, Punk did a lot of being, a lot of good things. For people, he didn't perform well, but he did a lot for the organization and for the guy he fought. Okay, Shawn, I'm I'm
0: not too mad about you. Uh... Picking CM Punk, I know that probably pains you a little bit there. Um, your volume's going low, so we'll make, when we swing back around to you, let me make sure that your volume is good. But um, I, I can't argue too much with that CM Punk pick, at the, especially with the way you broke it down. Um, Adam is now with us, so I'm to give him a chance to introduce himself and also let us know who do you think is your um newcomer of the year in 2016. Hey
3: guys, how's your, how's everyone doing? Uh. Really appreciate uh, you guys, everyone tuning into the show right now. It's going to be a lot of fun for the next little while here. Um, obviously you guys probably know me from Twitter at MM Adam Martin. M- I'm a writer for MMA ratings, been writing there for almost five years now. So i uh, really glad to be honest with my coworkers here. Uh, my pick for newcomer of the year is actually my, a little off the wall, I'd say, but I'm going to go with it anyways. I'm going to go with Mike Platinum Perry, for newcomer of the year for two reasons. First off, he had two amazing knockouts. The first one over Hung Yu Lim at uh, UFC 202 on the Conor McGregor ATS 2 card. That was an awesome knockout. That was that was ridiculous. He had three knockdowns, I believe, in the first round before finishing Lim, who was a really tough dude. So, that, I mean, that was really impressive. And then his second fight over in, in England, he knocked out Danny Hot Chocolate Roberts in the third round. One of the best fights of the year. That was an amazing fight that is going a little bit under the radar Um, and then obviously in his last fight, he did lose to Alan Juban and and not a great fight. And I think he probably took that fight too soon after his other two fights, he probably needed some time to heal up after that Roberts war. But, uh, that's one reason I'm picking him. The other reason is just because of all the buzz he generated. And and yeah, you know, he's one of those guys that a lot of people do hate because he's pretty cocky and he can be annoying or whatever, but Hey man, the guy's guy knows how to sell a fight and he's only 25 years old. I know he didn't look good in his last fight, but i i actually think he has a lot of potential in the sport um he's got to kind of get away from some of the people he's around like that alex nicholson guy that guy's kind of a scumbag i think he beat up his girlfriend and called it hungry limbs and racist names so that guy's a scumbag but i think mike Perry, if you can get away from that you know this is a guy who went to prison he's turned his life around in a lot of ways and he's a good fighter man so he's my pick for fighter newcomer of the year that's
0: actually a pretty good pick there man um Mike Perry kind of rubbed me the wrong way with that whole situation with his corner when they were fighting, um, Huang You Lim, like you mentioned, but um, that is a pretty good pick. He's someone that a lot of people have have their um, eyes on with a lot of upside. So um, I'm going to give you guys my pick for newcomer of, of the year. And this guy actually went one and one, but um, I, th- I think Lando Nada actually opened up a lot of eyes for what he did um, in UFC this year. He stepped in on short notice. I can't remember how much notice he had when he fought Tony Ferguson, but he put on a show in that fight. There. You know, he almost escaped with a crazy upset in that first round when he dropped Ferguson in that fight. But, you know, we all saw that he did lose um, in the second round. And then he goes out there and he absolutely destroys um, John McDessie at UFC 206. And he's and he just actually signed on for his next fight at UFC 209 against um, Dan, uh, is it Daniel... Uh, tomorrow, or something like that. I can't remember the guy's name fully off the top of my head. But, um, Lando is, is one picking as newcomer of the year. I think he's going to have a big twenty seventeen, and probably by the, and He's only twenty four years old, so maybe by the end of the next year, twenty eighteen, we could be talking about this guy doing a lot of um, big things in the lightweight division. So um, let's see what's next. Let's we're going to kind of be be bouncing around a little bit here because I want to, I definitely want to save Fighter of the Year and Fight of the Year as the last two categories that we go over because I think that those are going to be the. Um, the most important two that we talk about. So the next one here, like let's let's look at. It's not on our list, but um, I just want to go ahead and throw it out there. Um, comeback fighter of the year. Someone who was maybe out of the conversation of some of someone worth watching this year, but um, he's kind of he's really had he or she has had a turnaround year and done some. Great things in 2016. Uh, so for this one, since this is a category we didn't have on the list, I'm going to go ahead and go first and give everyone a chance to, to think about it. But I think Michael Bisping deserves some consideration here because he finally got that middleweight, finally got that UFC title, not just the middleweight title, but that UFC title that has been long outside of his grasp. He finally got it out the way. I personally thought he was going to retire without ever becoming champion, but not only did he win a belt, he won it on short notice, and he put Luke Rockhold out in one round after Luke. Dominated him when they fought. I think it was a couple years ago. So I um, don't think he's going to hold the title so, for so long. I think Joel Romero is going to give him a lot of trouble. But it's good to see him overcome the eye injuries, the multiple issues with fighting guys who have um, who have who have been popped for steroids. Just to see a lot of the things that he's been through in his career finally come to fruition, and now he's finally at the at the top of the sport. I don't know how long he's going to be there, but he's there at, at a time when he could walk away and and say that his career is complete. So next up, Rory, I'm going to go ahead and throw it to you next, man. Who do you think is our comeback fighter of 2016?
1: I think the greatest comeback athlete of all time is Dominic Cruz. In January, he came back. He bet TJ Dillashaw, uh, who's arguably the second best bantamweight of all time. Then he went on and bet Faber. And now he's going to to fight Garbrandt um, on Friday night. I think just as a comeback fighter, comeback from those injuries is crazy. And the comeback, it's the level he did and looked better than ever against T.J. Dillashaw just makes me uh, think that he's the best comeback fighter of all time.
0: Yeah, I, I'm definitely not arguing with you on that. I actually have um, Cruz picked as one, of my, as one of my guys right now who's sitting at the top of the pound-for-pound pound rankings. There's a piece that's going to go up on MMA ratings this week about that. So, yeah, he definitely deserves some um, point in this conversation here to uh, Shawan. Who are you going to go in and pick for uh, comeback fighter of 2016?
2: Comeback
0: fighter of 2016. You are, and your volume is still low there, Shawan, I can barely hear you. You got me? Yep, I can hear you better now.
2: Uh, 20, uh, comeback fighter of 2016. Uh, I'd almost have to go with Eddie Alvarez. Uh, Eddie Alvarez basically, you know, since he came after he lost his initial fight to Cerrone, a lot of people essentially were putting him on the scrap heat as a guy who would had too many fights, too many wars, and had nothing left for the elite competition in the UFC, but he managed he managed to reel off, you know, three wins, get himself into a title fight and upset Rafael Dos Anjos. And even though he lost and, and kind of lost in one fashion to Conor McGregor, it's still probably the, the most watched fight he's been in, the biggest event he's been in. And nobody would have nobody guessed that for him after that loss to Cerrone. A lot of people thought he'd be going in the opposite direction. And he found a way, to, as he also as he always does in fights, to claw his way out, to survive, to fight back, and put himself in position to win. And um, he doesn't have the title right now. But when he first got here and he lost to Cerrone, nobody thought he'd have the title on him. Period. Much less a shot at Conor McGregor. And like I said, he didn't win the fight, but you know he showed some aspects of himself, showed his personality, got kind of more of a name among among the media, among other sports fans. And um, he kind of, you know, he kind of made a point to establish himself to the fans, the current fans now. A lot of guys who watch MMA now don't know who Eddie Alvarez is. They don't know about Pride and Dream and all those other things. All they know is right here, right now. And he managed to make himself a valuable and noticeable commodity for the UFC after an extended, extended, extended career in MMA. So I'd probably say Eddie Alvarez. It didn't end the way he wanted it, but as far as what he accomplished and what he got done it's hard for me to argue against it
0: yeah it's hard for me to argue with you too as well because when i looked at eddie i didn't think his ufc run was going to go well at all especially if you look at the way it started so to see him get the title and even in and as disastrous as that fight against conor mcgregor went um he has had a pretty interesting 2016 i know he took that loss very hard and um it'll be interesting to see what's next for him, but um, the, the way the 2016 ended may not have been great, but the rest of it was a very strong year for the former um, Bellator champ. Is it, and he is the only guy that actually has held UFC and Bellator gold, I believe, correct? He's, he's the only one.
2: Yep, Yeah. he's the only one, and that's not even counting the other many organizations. He's won tournament titles or other just actual, actual legitimate organizational titles. In. I mean, he's like, that The UFC title essentially makes him an all-time great. Yeah, like lightweight light and an MMA history.
0: That's that's definitely a, a good point there. That's definitely and it's not like, not that other guys haven't tried. So that's definitely a um, great point. So I'm gonna throw it to you, Adam. Who do you have as your comeback fighter of 2016?
3: <clears throat> this is a tough one because I have a I have like four guys. wikipedia's I'm looking at right now that I could pick here, man. Actually, five guys. It's tough. It just depends what where you're, where you're like. Definitely your, de- your de- definition of comeback um for example like tim means right like he was suspended by usada for using a tainted supplement he got cleared by usada they tested the supplement independently they found that there was uh, some legal i can't remember what the ostra team or something i can't remember exactly what it was but you know he he was out of the sport for a little while he was working a minimum wage job came back got two straight tko wins so you know he's definitely a guy you could you could think about putting there but I also look, I'm also looking at a guy like Jim Miller. You know, Jim Miller had lost three of four fights. And even earlier this year, he lost to Diego Sanchez. Okay, that was earlier this year. And then all of a sudden, he goes and knocks out Takanori Gomi. Then he beats Joe Lozon in a fight of the night. And then he beats Tiago Alves, who's a really big lightweight, who missed weight actually for that fight. So all of a sudden, he's won three fights in a row. Now he's fighting Dustin Poirier opening the main card of UFC 28 in Brooklyn, which is close to New Jersey, where he's from. So I think he's a pick you could you could look at. Another guy, is, another guy is Eddie Wineland. Eddie Wineland had broke his jaw against Johnny Eduardo a couple years ago, and everyone thought he was completely shot, completely done. He came back against Brian Caraway last summer, lost, lost a striking battle against Brian Caraway, took another year off, and all of a sudden he's got two straight knockout wins over Frankie Sainz and TK Mitsugaki. So... He's another guy I'm looking at. And then finally, um, I know I've listed a bunch of guys, but I think there's – you know, Comeback Fighter of the Year, it's one of the words that really impresses you because this is a tough sport, man. And when you lose fights, especially when you get knocked out and break your jaw, it's really tough to come back. And two guys that got knocked out last year, Gegard Misasi and Donald Cerrone. Gegard Misasi got flattened by Uriah Hall. Huge upset last year. A lot of people thought he was done. A lot of people thought his chin was shot. And same with Donald Cerrone. He got knocked out by RDA last last December and all of a sudden both guys have won four fights in a row knocking everyone else so I mean you look you can look at those guys as well but uh yeah I mean there's a lot of choices I, I don't think you can go wrong I think you guys made some amazing choices too I think Bisping was a really good choice so yeah I just want to give some some love to these guys because man like I say it's a tough sport when you get knocked out and people are down on you it's tough to come back and some of these guys that are in their late 30s it's really impressive with what they've been doing
0: no, it definitely is, especially, and to be honest with you, I completely forgot about Jim Miller. You know, he's one of those guys that I loved watching earlier. Um, I don't want to say earlier in the sport, like he's totally over the hill, but he's someone I definitely love watching, being that I got my start in New Jersey as well. Eddie Wyman, too, you know, I remember that fight when he was the first bantamweight, the first guy from WEC to step over, and when he fought your Faber favor back in, uh, I think it was 2011, right? So... Yeah, so like the, a lot of those guys you mentioned, it's good to see them coming back around at this point in time. And yeah, comeback fighter is tough. And in MMA, as you mentioned, you know, one loss can send you tumbling down the rating or, or the rate. Like, look at Johnny hendrix for example. You know, he's struggled ever since he's gotten so close to winning the title. So yeah, the coming back comeback of the year is definitely a tough category to pick. And those are all some good selections there. Uh, let's see, what's next? So let's talk about the upset of the year. Um, Adam, I'm going to start with you on this one. But tell us, what is one fight that you saw that we all witnessed go one direction that no one ever thought we would see happen?
3: Um, is that a separate one from Upset of the Year, or is that uh, the same, same thing?
0: Um, upset of the Year. like Let's just leave it at, at that.
3: Okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously a lot of choices. And there's always upsets on every card and fights I don't see going the way they end up going. But I have to go with Nate Diaz over Conor McGregor, man, at UFC 196. I just – was completely shocked by how that fight went. Obviously, Nate Diaz took that fight on like 10 days' notice or something. RDA was supposed to fight Connor. Connor agreed to go up at 170, and Connor was a huge betting favorite to win that fight. I thought he was going to knock Nate Diaz out. He was looking really good in that first round. Then we all saw what happened. He gassed out badly. Nate Diaz has amazing cardio, obviously training with his brother. They're triathletes. Came back in the second round, wobbled Connor on the feet with his boxing, and then took him to the ground, choked him out. I mean, that was one of the one of the biggest upsets in the history of MMA, if you ask me. I know it wasn't for a title at the time, but that was a huge upset in my mind. So, that was crazy, man. And also on that same card, I got to say, obviously, Misha Tate against Holly Holm. Fifth round submission. Because Holly Holm was winning that fight. She was going to win that fight and defend her title right after beating Ronda Rousey, knocking Ronda out. And Misha came back and won that fight in the fifth round with with a Hail Mary submission. So, I, 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 to me, it's kind of a tie. I guess I'd lean towards Connor, uh, Nate Diaz, I should say, over Connor, but... Both amazing comebacks, both amazing submissions. That card was sick. So those are my picks.
0: Yeah, those are awesome, awesome good picks there. Especially that that Diaz and McGregor. I know that's going to be on a lot of people's lists this year as we talk about um, these upsets. What about you, um, Roy? Who do you have for upset of uh, of the year for twenty sixteen?
1: Man, it was a it was a good year for the upsets. Um, I wasn't so much surprised by Diaz McGregor, I I seen that coming just because of the size differentials and style-wise, home v Misha Tate was a real shocker, but the ultimate one for me was Bisping knocking out Luke Rockhold, Uh, after watching the first fight, uh, you'd never think that Bisping would be able to beat Rockhold Rockhold in their first fight, just looked like on another level, but uh, lo and behold Bisping came in on two weeks notice and
0: knocked out the champion.
1: Good pick.
0: Yeah, that's that's definitely a um, great big there. So I'm not going to disagree with you on, on that one. And it's funny because no one, I don't think anyone really saw that coming. I was, remember I was watching that in a group of people, and no one was really paying attention because we all remembered what Rocco did to, to Michael Bisping. But just to watch him, I don't even remember what punch it was, but he clipped him. Luke goes down, and watch and to watch Bisping finish the fight. There, it was definitely something that was pretty amazing for everyone to see. That is a strong up, upset of the year. Shawan, what about you, sir?
2: Uh, just taking a moment, like, um, in the case of the Rockhold thing, I mean, like, I was kind, I was kind of shocked on it, but I remember me and you did a show a couple of weeks before that, and you asked me who was overrated, underrated, and I told you Wiseman and Rockhold were both overrated for what they could do, and what I said about Rockhold was his boxing's just not there. He leaves a lot of opening for a guy who's willing to punch with him. Most guys won't because he's so dynamic and so athletic and he's so dangerous with those kicks, people kind of holster their guns because they don't want to get counter big. But I, I'm not saying I expected Bisbee to win, but I saw avenues that he could win because Lou Rockhold's to Boston is just awful. And I'm just saying that based off people I know who've been in the room with him. So I, that wasn't as big a shock, maybe me shock because that pull the trigger, but I was like, the openings have been there for years. It surprised me it took this long for somebody to finally key in on them. That was just my point of view uh the actual upset i had was misha tate versus uh, holly home a lot of people the diaz mcgregor fight was an upset because of the fame and kind of seemed unstoppable but with the actual home versus misha tate fight you couldn't really find anybody who was gonna bet any money on misha Tate. nobody really thought she had the physical skills or the wrestling the legitimate wrestling shop to get home down especially after what home had done to ronda rousey and people kind of overlooked the fact that rousey was a one-trick pony and she didn't have the kind of layers to her game or the experience and the seasoning that misha Tate did and um much like they did when home beat rousey i went on like a big tirade that misha Tate's going to beat her i was like she's probably going to finish her she's going to put her down and she's going to finish her and i was chewing my nails to the last second when she got the submission but once she did it of course i was very proud of myself but um i just thought that was the upset of the year because nobody really saw that coming they didn't Misha Tate had been pretty much eliminated from title contention. After the two losses of Ronda, she got skipped over for Holly Holm. And after Holm beat Ronda, nobody thought anybody could touch Holly Holm. Everybody thought she was untouchable. She beat Ronda. She's essentially the best female fighter in the world. No one can touch her. And uh, Misha came, and she just out-game-planned her. I mean, some people say she was losing the fight. I thought she was just strategically fighting smart to give herself the opportunity to get in the position she needed to win. And uh, she pulled it out, and... As far as, like, a fight that nobody would have called, nobody I don't think anybody at all said, in hindsight, oh, I picked Nisha to win. A lot of people said, oh, I knew Nick, Nate was going to beat Connor. Some people said that I saw the holes in Rockhold games. I couldn't find anybody anywhere who would legitimately say Nisha Tate was going to beat Holly Holm. I'm not saying somebody else didn't say it. I know I said it, but I don't know anybody else who agreed with me. So that's, that's going to be my upset of the year. You know,
0: Sean, this might be one of those rare times where you and I actually agree on on our selection here. But I want to go with Home Tate too, and I kind of want to I want to kind of categorize this the same way I did with Michael Bisbee, where Tate's win with um with her her, her come from behind win in that fight um, was definitely an upset, but I feel like it was more of a career moment for her. Um, if she would have ever gotten that win over Ronda Rousey, that would have made it that much more better. But uh, the fact that she finally did reach that um, that pinnacle to become a strike force and a UFC champion, I think um – Who's Luke Rocco? Maybe the only other person that's actually reached that point. I'm not counting Daniel, Daniel Cormier's tournament win, so I think they may be the only two individuals that have held belts in Strike Force and the UFC. Correct me if I'm wrong, but um, that is definitely a great upset win for her. It's kind of and I'm glad the way she walked away from the sport on her own terms as well. But to see her finally get that title, um, and it was unfortunate the way she dropped it to amanda Nunes, but that win for her over holly in those last final moments was that was a huge upset that everyone got to witness
2: one last thing I, I wanted to say i thought her win was like a win for women's mma i know rhonda did a lot for women's mma but misha had been almost like a pioneer she'd been around when all the original girls had been there and she had competed over an extended period of time and kind of talk, talked about the benefits of women's mma and been kind of a proponent in the face of women's mma like the actual I talk about MMA, and I boost up other fighters, kind of face of MMA. And for her to win it, it was like a win showing, you know, closing the gap from the Pioneers to the current crop. And while she wasn't able to compete with the current crop past a certain point, like her win kind of legitimizes the people who are no longer in MMA, the Julie Kezzi, the the Shayna Baszlers, people like that who no longer are in the top ranking, you know, that kind of legitimizes what they contributed, because they're the kind, they're the people who helped developed Misha and gave her the experience, and the girls she faced coming up, and the girls she worked with facing, she worked with coming up, so that kind of legitimizes that. Yeah, experience. I can
0: definitely agree with you on that. I've always thought of Misha as kind of a pioneer that doesn't get the full respect, uh, not necessarily full respect, but doesn't get the same light that, that, most, that she should when it comes to the women's uh, division, but she's definitely someone, like without her, there's a good chance that there may not be a Ronda Rousey or even women fighting in the UFC at this point in time, so yeah, she definitely does deserve the respect that hasn't quite always been there for her throughout her career to this point. So let's go ahead and keep moving. Um, I want to pick up on another um, category. I wanted, This is the same category as well, but this thing of 2016, and, and what is your news story of the year? I want to go ahead and start first, um, and I just want to kind of throw it out there that I believe that the Probably the most important story that's going to come out of 2016 after, after we look back is um, is the effort that the fighters, and this is kind of a, a, a amalgamation of a couple of different stories, but the efforts of the fighters being so outspoken against the UFC, like we're beyond that point where everyone on the roster is a company man. And this this has kind of changed rather quickly in a, in a sense, like you would guys such as Randy Couture, when he walked away from the UFC the first time, and even Dan Henderson, you saw them do it, and it was never really talked about. But now you have guys like Al Iaquinta, um, all the way up to men such as um, Rory McDonald, Benson Henderson, guys who are willing to test their worth in free agency and who are very vocal about wanting more of the pie. Everyone saw that 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 the UFC sold for $4 billion, and they're like, well, where's my cut? And I'm not mad at them for asking that. I'm definitely glad to see that these fighters are finally acting more like professional athletes rather than just cage fighters. And I think that when we look back at 2016, um, the way fighters are becoming more outspoken and the pushback against the UFC and fighter value is going to be like the biggest biggest story with the most impact down the line. Uh, What about you, Adam? What do you think?
3: That's a good pick man i, I definitely agree with that i'm curious to see how 2017 is going to go as far as, as as far as like unions and associations and whatnot are, are concerned um my pick for story of the year is usada and drug test failures man that's that's my story of the year i'm just i'm looking at reddit right now someone kindly enough uh decided to post a whole um, list of the fighters that were caught this year for various substances. I'm just going to list some of the names. Um, not all of them were for steroids, obviously, but you know they all failed their test and were suspended. So start with the top, John Jones, best fighter in the world, in my opinion. He got caught. I mean, he's going to come back next year, but I, I don't know exactly, you know, what what it was. What, you know, he says it was for you know hormone pills or whatever it was, but uh, he got caught. Obviously, Brock Lesnar, him as well. Chad Mendez, Leo Machida, Frank Mir. E.J. Penn got caught for using an IV illegally. Um, all Romero had that thing. Obviously, it was a tainted supplement, but he he got a little bit in a little bit of trouble as well. Miracle Crocop, he got caught. Glason Tebow, a lot of guys. Man, I, I think for me, that's the story of the year because the sport's a lot different now, and you've seen a lot of guys. Look at Anthony Pettis, Johnny Hendricks. Obviously, I have no proof these guys were using PEDs, but. You look at, it, ever since you saw this come in, how these guys perform and how they've looked physically, very different. So I'm, I'm really curious to see how the sport's going to look in the coming years. But you can already tell, man, there are a lot of these guys that were juicing you know, have been caught, in, and, and guys that were clean for years, like Michael Bisping and Gager Saucy are, are finally overcoming those obstacles, and they're not fighting guys that were juiced up and look like the, 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 the Hulk. So that's my story of the year.
0: I can't argue with you with that man, and you didn't even, I don't even think you mentioned Cyborg, in my opinion, I think that that's yeah. probably, she's the last person that could afford any, 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 um, any way her name is going to be connected with Usada at all, she was the last person that could afford to have that situation come out, and we can't even get through 2016 without saying her name as well, so yeah, and it's funny because Usada kind of works within that category that I picked because the fighters had no say, in in its being applied to their career at all, they had no say at all. But they're they're judged and punished in a way that is almost I don't want to say inhumane, but it, it's it's killing people's careers. Like look at Leota Machida, he may mess he he may mess around and be done at this point in his career, all for something that he didn't really necessarily. Fail the, 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 the drug test for. So yeah, uh, USADA was a big impact on 2016. I, was going to, I think it's going to have a bigger impact on 2017 as, as well. So I'm going to throw it over to Schwann. What do you think is the biggest news story of 2016,
2: sir? Yeah, I'm going to kind of riff off of what you did. It, it's going to be the money. At one point, it's going to be, it's basically going to be the money for the fighters and for the promoter. Years ago, the, the being every MMA fan and every, and Dana White used to always get on is we're not like boxing we have these guys with these degrees they can go make livings we're never going to have in from belts we're not going to be skipping over guys we're going to give fans the fights they want we're going to make sure the best people have the opportunities we're going to follow the rankings we're not just going to switch things around and the whole aspect of MMA and everybody keeps saying it's a sport I call it more of a sports entertainment because it's finally just becoming common accepted knowledge for everybody to go where the money is the organization will skip the properly ranked fighter to go where the money is they'll make up an interim championship to go where the money is the fighters are no longer just happy to be in the super bowl of the of the mma world they want to get paid they're not trying to fight the best ranked. they don't want to fight the number one ranked guy in their division they want to fight a nick diaz who's on a four fight losing streak they want to fight Nate diaz at 170 they want to Call out Conor McGregor when he just gets to a weight class because they know that's how they get paid and for the first time in the history of MMA people are being upfront and honest about what drives the sport it's not that these guys are very tough but the fact is they're professional athletes they're not soldiers they're not warriors they're professional athletes who want to make money and want to expand their brand and want to have something for themselves in their career moving forward and so many fighters and or and heads of organizations have lied about that for years we just want the best fighter you don't want the best fighter you want the best money maker you want the best fight if it's going to make you the most money you want the rankings account if it's going to benefit your bottom line and if you're a fighter so many fighters have lied i'll fight anyone anywhere but now that we have people dropping out because of drugs or getting injured you notice all the guys who say i'll just fight anytime anywhere they're not choosing to fight anytime anywhere they're picking their shots And only a few fighters have been honest about that over their career. George St. Pierre was honest about it. King Mo Lawal was honest. Tyrone Woodley is very honest. Conor McGregor is very honest. Everybody else is anytime, anywhere. It doesn't matter. I do this for free. Well, there's a fight on two weeks' notice. Carlos Sparza, you say you're in a rough spot. You don't want to take a number one contender fight. You know, we have Kevin Gastelum at middleweight calling out Vitor Belfort. How many fights has he lost in a row? it's money grab. I need a name fighter who's going to get my sponsors to kick in and get me more attention and help my brand. And I'm just glad that everybody's finally being honest about it. We can stop hiding behind the pretense that we're doing a totally clean, legitimate sport. And we can stop with the pretense of we're all warriors. We're all soldiers. I'd give my life in there because it's not true. A soldier just has to do what they have to do regardless of what they're getting paid. These guys are picking and choosing their spots. And I'm just glad the curtain's been pulled back and, Finally, people are seeing it because I've been saying it for, I've been saying it for a while and everybody kept calling me a liar. And I'm like, I'm in gyms. I talk to these guys. This is the business. And now everybody's being honest about how much of a business it is. It's interesting that you say that because if you, and it's weird because I don't think that the
0: fans, I, I think this is something that happens This transcends sports. As a conversation because whenever you begin talking about money and the amount of money that athletes are getting paid fans tend to turn their back on the athletes they never turn their back on the owners or the presidents or the individuals who are making billions off of these athletes making millions but they think of that and i don't know why but that always occurs that the fans tend to turn on the athletes when it comes to mixed martial arts it's almost, it's, it's weird to see how fans react when fighters do call out a Diaz brother because they want a, a bigger payday. Like when Tyron Woodley called out um, Nick Diaz and GSP, the backlash was ridiculous, but here it is, this man is working to get the most amount of money he can for his family and that's because these guys' careers don't last as long as they think that they should. So I'm totally with you on that. When we look back, and I'm definitely looking forward to someone finally figuring out how much these athletes are making um, because I don't think that we've seen those numbers broken down correctly. We've seen some stuff, bits and pieces here and there. But I think that that's going to be something that we see in um, 2017 as well because fighter pay is not going to go away, and it's only going to become a bigger bigger part of the conversation as guys demand more and
2: more. I just thought it was funny. Everybody used to crack on Floyd Mayweather because they're like, he's all about the money. He's just about getting paid. And now all these fighters are skipping fights and holding out a fight so they can get money and they can get paid.
0: They wish they could be Floyd. Like Someone's trying to be him right now. So like That's who Connor's kind of trying to mimic right now, in my opinion. And, and right now we do need someone that can bring in that same type of money. There's a reason why Floyd Mayweather's probably been the highest paid athlete year upon year for, I want to say, the, the better part of this decade. So, I mean, he's got to be doing something right. Um, Roy, let's talk about you, man. What do you think is the biggest story from 2016?
1: Uh, There's a few, and they all make me angry. Um, (laughs) (laughs) First, uh, the fighters getting paid what they deserve. I think fighters should get paid what they deserve. But I think it makes a joke out of the sport when fighters refuse to fight number one contenders and pick money fights. For example, Conor McGregor, champion of the world. If he doesn't fight Khabib Nurmagomedov or Tony Ferguson next, it's a joke. It's, uh, it's making a joke out of sport. The reason we watch martial arts is to see who's the best martial arts in the world, not who can make the most money. If I wanted to watch who can make the most money, I'd put on Forbes. I'm just against that shit. It's, it's just pointless. Um, you, you see, in every other sport, the best face the best. It's only combat sports where they can get around that. In football, the best teams play each other. In basketball, the best teams play each other. You know, they don't just pick the big money matches. It's the, it's the big money it's it's done on merit, not on um and power. Um and next up on my hit list is Usada. I also think Usada pretty much a ruin in the sport. Um so MMA has been built on uh on on PEDs first off. Every fighter um on the it, pretty much every fighter in the UFC Hall of Fame has used. Like I think mm-hmm. it's undisputable. We got um Mark Coleman, Forrest Griffin. Randy Couture, um, Hoist Gracie. If you just look through the UFC Hall of Fame and check how many people have tested positive, it's ridiculous. And the idea that USADA will stop people from using is wrong. People still use. I know of UFC fighters who have used since USADA and not been caught. Um, then you've got guys like Josh Barnett, who was just caught this week. He's cheated four times. He's been caught four times. So are you willing to tell me that the rest of the times he was tested by USADA, he wasn't on something? Or did he just get around the USADA protocol? Um, people are still able to cheat. Uh, they'll always be able to cheat. What happens now is the people with money and the people with teams around them can still cheat. Um, when you have UFC fighters with doctors living with them, you got to ask questions. Why are doctors living with UFC fighters? You know That's going on. Uh, people are still doping, and they'll always dope. But Usada is just ruining the sport. And even, um, so Mishida, he's taking DHEA, which does not work. It does not improve your... Um, muscle or recovery it just literally doesn't work he got a two-year ban and he admitted it um then brock lesnar and john jones got one-year bans for tainted supplements which is bullshit so usada literally had two guys that tested positive for uh, for proper peds with one-year bans, and the one guy who was taking something that didn't work and owned up to it got a two-year ban mm-hmm. which is just beyond ridiculous um and it goes on. Um, even so, Krokop admitted to using HDH, yet when his USADA tests come back, no HDH in the tests. It just shows USADA tests won't pick up everything either. So it's like, and then it, to even go further than that, it takes away from the fighters' freedom for the fact that they have to log where they are every day of the air for these people. It's just a joke.
0: Yeah, the impact of uh, USADA has definitely been huge. And I, like I said, I don't think it's going to change. I think it's going to be a a catalyst for fighters fighting uh, I have to say it that way, for fighters continuously fighting for more of their um, more of their strength over their career. So Adam and Roy, since you both picked uh, you I have a question for you. I tend to ask everybody when they bring up steroids. Who would be one fighter where you would be shocked if they failed a drug test today? Mine, my my two would probably be be Frankie Edgar and uh, Demetrius Johnson, like my mind, my head would explode if they failed an actual drug test. But if there are two, if, if there's a guy you can think of, a man or, or a woman, who if they would have failed a drug test, you would be honestly be surprised. Who is that person? Go ahead, Adam. Uh, let us know. Okay.
3: You know what, man? Honestly, after Anderson Silva tested positive last year, uh, that, that, that really opened my eyes. I think I was a bit naive to, to it all. And I kind of agree with what Roy was saying. All of all of our heroes, or I shouldn't say all of them, because it's not fair to say that everyone's used PEDs, but I think a lot of fighters have, especially the ones in the past. It's tough to say, man. Like, I'd like to think someone like Joanna Jacek, I'd like to think that, but again, who knows? You know, I'd like to think a guy like TJ Dillashaw doesn't use anything, but I, I don't know. I, I just, at this point, I wouldn't be shocked if anyone tested positive. So...
0: And what about for you, Roy? Who's one person that that you would be totally surprised if they failed a uh, drug test? See, I was going to say
1: BJ Penn, but he already had his USADA violation. (laughs) (laughs) You you know, love for him, man. And I love BJ. Um, But uh, Frank Yeager, probably. I mean, if Frank Yeager's been clean his whole career, I think he's the most uh, amazing athlete the UFC has ever had. When you consider what that guy's done, uh, even before he was in the UFC, and he's fighting. I think it was reality fights. He had a fight with Jim Miller, and Jim Miller kicked half of the air off. And he still came forward in one fight. That guy is just mm-hmm. the toughest man on the planet. And uh, if he's been clean his whole career, I think he's he's probably the greatest UFC fighter of all time. Yeah,
3: George jumping quickly. Just want to jump jumping quickly, uh, I agree with you 100%. Roy, um, I, I don't I don't know if people realize it, but like Frankie Edgar has spent more time in the octagon than anyone, any other man or woman mm-hmm. alive. Over six hours, he spent in the octagon. And the second guy on the list is Michael Bisping, almost six hours as well. And that's you know what? That's another guy I'd be surprised by because he's so outspoken against it. Um, all these guys he's fought were juicing, like Vidor. Um, all these guys were knocking him out on juice. So I, I guess that would be a guy I'd be surprised by. <laughs> Actually, next next on the list is PG Penn. so that's kind of funny. But uh, yeah, no, I, I but like I said, man, I just. With all, the, with, all, with all the things they test for too i mean like guys are getting caught for using supplements that have this thing that's i mean on the label man, and then they're like it's their fault for not double checking and stuff so it's, it's tough to say
2: i, I had some input guys uh, first of all oh, I, mean, fine. I was thinking a lot of guys went it's like the rule in baseball if everybody was cheating then some of, some of the pioneers and heroes of mma we can't consider them cheating if everybody was doing it and nobody, would, yeah. nobody had a rule against it. It's not a rule if there's no cheating. If, if there's no rule against steroids and you choose not to, that's a personal choice. It's not cheating because there's no rule against it. You're just choosing not to partake. And that's one. And as far as my person who I'd be shocked that they were taking PEDs, I'd say Anthony Pettis because he's been fighting so awfully, so bad in the past <laughs> year. So if he's taking PEDs, it, it shocked me because they ain't helping at all. It's not helping him one bit.
3: I, yeah, yeah. Can I just put in
2: here? Go
1: ahead, go ahead. So, if, like, what are your guys' thoughts on PDs? Do you think they should be legalized? Because for me, um, speaking just in terms of fighter safety, you know, there's been lots of studies coming on about um, how testosterone recovers partially from some sort of um, brain damage, um, and obviously helps in injury prevention and injury recovery. So, like, if we really care about fighter safety, shouldn't we legalize um,
0: PDs? Ooh, that's a tough one there. That's a tough one. Um, I have thoughts. Go ahead, go ahead. I have thoughts. Actually, before I, yeah. you start, before you start on your thoughts on that, Michael, let us know who you are and <laughs> tell everybody that you're, you're <laughs> the brains behind the outfit. Michael.
4: Cool. Uh, yeah, I mean, I suppose it doesn't feel right for me to call myself the brains behind the outfit, so I'll let you tell it. But uh, yeah, I'm Michael Ford, <laughs> uh, Managing Editor, MMA Ratings. How's everybody doing tonight? Good, man. Good to see you, Michael. Yeah, man. Good to good to join you. You know, work's got me, got me burned in midnight oil, but I rushed home. Uh, hopefully, there's still some more conversation to be had.
3: Absolutely, man. For sure. But, I want to hear your thoughts, man. Go for it.
4: Yeah, so what definitely I was saying about PEDs is, I mean, I think that there's Roy definitely has a good argument as far as from a fighter safety perspective. Um, but my my argument, or sorry, my perspective, is that I think that it should be done with some sort of doctor supervision. I think the main keys to the downsize over the long term are when uh, any athlete abuses PEDs, um, uses them without any supervision, you know, doesn't necessarily use the best products that would give them the enhancements that they're looking for um, because they can't, either can't afford it or because they're just not informed about what all the drugs do, I think that making it a free-for-all opens up the door to abuse every on at every level. But, and I think that if at the highest level it was allowed, I mean, o- almost what happens now with HDH and TUEs, except maybe a more liberalized process, where if you can demonstrate that there's a doctor that's supervising your usage and you're only using it out of competition then i think that's an environment that would be conducive to
1: um peds being allowed absolutely um i completely agree with you i think like if some fighters on the roster can afford to have stem cell therapy i think like legalizing certain peds that all fighters can afford to use and make them recover quicker makes sense because like so, say guys like McGregor who spending twenty thousand dollars on stem cells that you know a bottom level fighter can't afford. I think that gives him an unfair advantage. You know, it's similar to what PEDs would for a for a non clean fighter. You know what I mean? So it's like,
4: sure. I mean, the idea should... of a level playing field is kind of a fiction.
2: Yeah, the, I agree. There's there's no there's no there's no level playing field. I mean, it's whether it's the PEDs, whether it's even just money to afford supplements, whether it's access to certain coaches or certain resources nobody nobody has it even across the board I mean they just don't I mean I don't know any fighter who can really say oh you know this is slanted again I've heard fighters say this is slanted against me I don't have access to PDs but I'm like look at who you're getting coached by and, and look at the resources you have as a result of wh- where you live at that that's an unfair advantage oh well anybody can move here you tell somebody's gonna move halfway across the country to train with your team you know are you gonna give them a place to live are you gonna pay his bills that's an unfair advantage you have just based off where you live at but that's acceptable so
3: sure.
2: it's it's, it's, a, it's a very um tough topic
0: like i can agree with the idea that if they were managed in a way that was driven by medical professionals it would be something interesting to see like i look back to i look back to athletes of the past especially when you look at professional wrestling and you look at the impact that Drugs as a whole had on a lot of those guys, um, and I know it's uh, it's a different, people don't like talking about it in, a, in the same vein, but if you look at a lot of the guys who died during, you know, before they reached their 40s, 45, 46, 47, you see a string of men who were um, PD abusers, and that, right, that's a serious Barack, issue. But
4: another, another issue that affected professional wrestlers, you know, I actually know a few people that have worked in that industry, is the abuse of painkillers you know in a, in tandem with the peds the painkillers that they had to take and abuse essentially in order to maintain the grueling schedule i would would imagine that a doctor who was supervising that would recognize these interactions between drugs that maybe a layperson wouldn't be able to r- recognize and would be able to manage dosage dosages in a way that Again, another factor with professional wrestlers is they don't make professional athlete money. You know they're making what we make. You know if we're doing an odd job on the weekend, uh, at least on the indie level. And a lot of these wrestlers are doing whatever they can do in in order to get to the big time, and that includes abusing both painkillers and PEDs. So I mean, I think on the level, I think one of the built-in advantages to MMA is because of the licensing, because of what you have to do in order to stay capable of competing, you're not gonna have to deal with guys who are taking everything under the sun in order to be, uh, pretend that they're physically capable of, of performing, you know, not at the same level that they would do in professional wrestling.
2: I have a quick question isn't part of the problem with pro because i i had a couple of friends who pro wrestled at a higher level and uh went to college with a couple people who were in the wwe and things of that nature but wouldn't part of the problem not just be the drugs but the the fact that you're in this this sport or entertainment form that you have to fight so you have to compete so often there's not a lot of rest and recovering in between because you're traveling from city to city and in that instance doesn't mma kind of mirror that because for you to even get to the ufc level or even regional level, for anybody who's in my position, I've seen how hard those guys have to train. And if you're not on something or you're not consistently in there, the injuries, pop, I mean, as you notice this year, we've had a lot of injuries, a lot of people pulling out of fights. Right. Which coincides with USADA. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of abuse you have to put your body through just for you to get into the regional circuit. You know, I've, I've had to go into those, shark, I've, I've, just from my own experience, I've gone in on sparring night with the pros and done the shark tanks. And when I'm, and I'm just a regular person, but when I'm telling you like four weeks later, I'm still, I'm still, I'm still not Mm -hmm. right Till like, you know, if I go in May and I'm not okay till July, I'm, I'm not joking.
4: Sure. But I think, I mean, maybe this is the lawyer in me coming out, but I think that, you know, from an agency perspective, if it's being managed in the gym, the gym has an interest in maintaining their fighters well-being. So that they can be ready to compete.
2: How much money does AKA cost themselves with guys pulling out of fights and getting hurt? And they're a major gym.
4: I know. And that's, but that's malpractice on the part of AKA. Eventually, their gym is going to have to fold up shop if they can't bring fighters to bear. You know, I think when when we're talking about the indie scenes, what's happening is that these promoters don't care. These promoters want you out there every weekend busting your ass and you're doing it for the service of the promoters. They're, they don't have any dog in the fight, so to speak, in terms of what happens to their guys long-term, not the same way that the gyms have. So the, you know, the gyms are, they're in a good place with regard to managing the health and safety of the fighters that that, that train under them, much more so than the promoter would.
2: I, I, I guess I could see that, but as, as a person who looks at the technical side and has has work with fighters, on uh, game plans, the way they train some of these fighters, they must not be thinking long-term because they're setting up with game plans in preparation to get them killed. I mean, literally takes three to four years off their career to the beatings they take and not knowing what to do and how to get into the situation. And right, I think that's
4: to- the next level of what has to, I mean, you, you, you and I have talked about this offline, you know, um, one of the next level of things that have to happen in MMA gyms is managing fighters for the longer term, and thinking about not just game plans for the next fight, but thinking about developing fighters over the course of their entire career, thinking about helping them with their branding, helping them with their marketing, helping them with every facet of what it means to be a professional. What Because of how things are structured on the business side, there isn't as much incentive to do that, but I think that that's a level, I think that's where MMA could go in, in the future in terms of becoming a real sport
0: okay that's definitely some good back and forth there i think that as we look to 2017 and we look back at how you saw has impacted the sport, is going to be quite the conversation there so um i definitely want to make sure that we uh keep a track on that and and just keep an eye out on that um as we go forward we're going to play a prediction game at the end so Let's keep that in mind when that, when that part comes back around. So, like, let, let's go into our next category for um, end of the year award. And let's look at the best event of the year. And this, I want, to think, want you to think of it from top to bottom, which which event as a whole stands out as something that you'll go back and watch time and time again? And, uh, Michael, since you were able to just able to hop on, I'm going to start with you first. What was your favorite UFC or MMA event as a whole from 2016?
4: Oh, man, you put me on the spot. Um i mean first if i had to if first one that comes to mind is two o five um yeah, it's gotta be two o five you know New York City there was the atmosphere, the pageantry, the history that was made it' it's, it's gotta be two o five
0: okay that's that's definitely a a good strong pick there, and it's gonna be a, uh, an event that everyone will uh, look back to. Roy, uh, what's your pick as event of the year for 2016?
1: Um, So this year, pretty much, I I watched the least MMA I've ever watched. But what I did see, um, from top to bottom, I think UFC 196 was pretty phenomenal. Um, The the cold main event and the main event were just spectacular, you know. Uh, It was the night of the upsets, UFC events I've ever watched. Which one? UFC
0: 196. 96. 96, okay, okay, okay. That, I'm not mad at that pick either. Um, 196 was a hell of a night uh, seeing uh, McGregor get that win – or excuse me, McGregor take that loss to Nate Diaz. It, it was it was a major moment. I think it's it's that moment that Nate needed to kind of solidify his career. Adam, what about you? What is the most memorable event from 2016 for you?
3: Pretty tough, man, because there was a lot of really good pay-per-views, this year, especially – in the UFC and other events too, fight nights. But there was a few Bellator cars that were okay. But uh, for me, I'm biased because I went to it. But UFC 206 in Toronto a couple, <laughs> a couple weeks ago. Man, that car was so good. It was it was sick, man. Honestly, it was the first UFC I've been to in three years since the last one with Gustafson and Jones. I, every time I go to UFC, it's like an amazing fire, right? Um, this car was this car was amazing, man. It really was. Um, obviously on the prelims, you had Landon Venada knocking out John McDessie with with that spinning wheel kick, which I'm sure is going to get some love for Knockout of the Year, it was an amazing kick. And then on the main card, obviously the fight between Cub Swanson and Ji Choi, and that was one of the best fights I've ever seen. Amazing fight. And then obviously Don Cerrone knocking out Mac Brown with the head kick, first guy to really knock Mac Brown clean. And then obviously Max Holloway knocking out Anthony Pettis. That card was sick, man. Honestly, and, and you saw the the ratings it just did for Fox on the replay. Um, it, I'm pretty sure that a lot of people agree with me. So it was sick. That's actually that, I was see, that make goes to
4: my that goes to my point about how MMA needs to be on TV more. Oh, Yeah, for sure, <laughs> it does. Like that goes like
3: pay review's a thing of the past, honestly. Like, uh, it's just it's it's for most people, it's just too expensive. And and you saw the rate, the ratings they're doing. Obviously, I understand it's a huge revenue generator for the UFC, but I think as we go forward, especially when the UFC signs their next television deal, I think you'll see less pay per view events. And you have seen the rumors on Twitter. That maybe they're going to go to eight eight pay per views next year instead of the regular 12 or whatever.
4: That um, would be a small. I'm fine
3: with that. I don't like spending
4: 60. Yeah, if, listen, if they doubled the amount of Fox events. That's great. Eight, if they did eight Fox events and eight pay per views, that might be the sweet spot in like terms that. of numbers. I like uh-huh. it. I like yeah, USC
3: twelve six is definitely my as one, too.
2: The majority yeah. of people aren't. So it's kind of a waste of money. I, I agree with y'all on that. It's tough, man. So and go ahead, Sean uh go ahead guys uh, Schwann, we can't really hear you your your volume
0: still kind of went back to low for a second
2: i i said actually most most fighters in the ufc even the champions aren't pay-per-view worthy they don't have that kind of fan base or draw that kind of attention so they keep forcing pay-per-views which i think they lose money on because they don't have people who can bring in casual fans they always get the hardcore yeah. that that means nothing you have to bring in casual fans to really turn that corner and make the money that you want to make well to they just need to your-
4: have they just need to have dominic cruz roast everybody <laughs> and uh that'll that'll hype up all the pay-per-views he, <laughs> yeah he's like that, man
0: like dominic manager. cruz, or something. <laughs> dominic cruz is, just, is killing people right now
2: if these guys would take me up on my offers to help him with their trash talk he wouldn't be killing everybody i got lines and i got bars for these people <laughs> but they will not come on me. bars i got bars hashtag bars i, <laughs> I try to help them i, I give them samples Listen, and they just, you, you needed to slide in cody's dms and hook them up I, I might have I might, I might have to it, it's embarrassing the trash talk i'm here and i'm like good, good yeah little he's, little he's little definitely little. taking the
0: l um in that regard right now schwann what is your um what is your uh
2: event of the year for 2016. I have two. My first one is gonna be selfish because I was technically I was involved in it—the risen, risen Grand Prix, cha- risen championship they had. Oh, the home repair. Yeah, I, I was. Uh, I was. I helped. I was one of the coaches. Helped coach King Mo to his win. So I was kind of like that was like a highlight for me because I'd never been involved with something on that level. And then like you know he kind of shouted me out on YouTube. So I was like, I woke up in the morning. I'm seeing this and I'm like, did he just say my name or did I just tell myself he said my name? So. Personally, that was the highlight for me. As far as actual quality of a card, I'd say 206. Nobody expected it to be what it was. It far outshot its expectations. We were talking about that months before, like this could be the worst card of all time. They have no draws on it. It's just awful. And they pulled it out. They gave us consistent quality finishes, consistent quality fights, and uh, probably established a couple new stars in the meanwhile.
3: Yeah. Well, I want to give one runner up here because I love this card as well. UFC 199. I love this card. This card was. It's another card that everyone was like, "This card's gonna suck," because the main event got got uh, a at the last second. But Michael Bisping knocking out Luke Rockhold. That was an amazing fight. You had that crazy fight between Max Holloway and Ricardo Lamas that where they went to war basically. And then Dan Henderson knocking out Hector Lombard. Poirier knocking out Bobby Green. Darius knocking out. Yeah, Finn. that was a great card. Man, Ortega knocked out Guida with the knee. I mean, that card was so sick as well. Like, there were some really good cards this year, but for me, those are the two.
4: But like I said, I'm really fine. Oh, biased. speaking of which, since I missed it, did anyone put Bisping Rocco as as a upset of the year? Yeah, I think someone who picked it. Uh, Roy,
3: uh, Roy I think picked it. Okay.
4: Yeah, yeah. That, that's my pick for upset of the year. Oh,
3: yeah. I mean, that's a good pick for sure. Very, I mean, I didn't expect that. To, that was crazy. You know what? He was getting lit up by Rockhold in the, in the first couple minutes. He was getting kicked. I'm like, oh, man, this fight's going to go just like the last one did. And then all of a sudden, bam, you know?
2: But right. geez, that's why we love MMA. You never know, right? Luke didn't spend yeah. no time at the boxing gym. People told him. People warned him. He just didn't listen.
4: Yeah. What's the next? So What else, Rough? Did we lose, rough Maybe. Well, uh, Shawan, pick up the hosting, I'm oh, Sorry about
0: that. Sorry about that. I was on mute. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was there talking to happening. I was on mute. But the uh, the Bisping Rockhold fight, that was the UFC 189, right? Right. Okay, okay. I, I just I had a momentary lapse there. But, yeah, there's there's been some great events. And then as, we, as more people talk about the idea of the oversaturation of MMA I definitely love the idea of them going to fewer um, pay-per-views and more of the Fox events I think that that's cuz right now they're they're not doing enough and I think that's that's why these events are kind of hit hit or miss but coming off of the Michelle Waterson Paige Van amp show that did what was it, 4.2 um, yeah,
4: I mean we were I mean we were really surprised at that number I know yeah, Fox yeah. shows during football season tend to do well you know, that's that's always been a, a thing that we've kind of gone back to, that the, the ability for them to promote the show on uh, NFL football has has always led to higher in the season. But even still, I mean, I didn't expect that level. I mean, I, I haven't I never watched Dancing with the Stars, so maybe these are all Paige Van Zandt Dancing with the Stars fans. But I was I was astounded when I saw the number.
0: Yeah, that was definitely a um, very huge number there, um, and I'm just looking forward to what next year has if they can continuously like lower the number of, of these events that put on better Fox showcases. So I want to look at the the next two categories also weren't on that list, but they're two categories that we cannot miss at all. We're going to talk about knockout of the year and submission of the year. So. Um, Shawana, I'm going to throw it to you first to tell me what was your favorite submission from 2016.
2: Uh, favorite submission had to be the uh, come from behind Tate versus Holmes. Uh, I, I know a lot of people are. I know a lot of people will probably go for the the bigger in air quotes submission of Diaz McGregor, but based on like I said before. No, I'm right
4: there with you Shawan I'm right there with you that's you know the combination of the stakes the upset factor it yeah I, I'm, I'm with you on submission of the year.
2: I mean it, it was like the hitting a last second jumper with the championship on the line and it was actually um you know it wasn't a matter of just a quick submission or somebody giving up position uh Misha Tate set it up she worked through position she when home tried to escape she countered her controlled her and finished her. it was like textbook it was textbook in execution it was dramatic in execution and it was um a fitting in for one of the girls who was considered one of the better grapplers in, in uh, women's mma so i would say that was the best submission i'd seen in a while given the stakes especially for me Tate, that was her last title shot she loses that she's essentially the female version of uriah faber she's john fitch in the bantamweight division for women so um, that's the weight and the stakes and the execution and the level of competi- competition she did it versus that makes that the best uh, submission for me.
0: And let's go over to Adam. And what do you think was your favorite submission from 2016?
3: A lot of good choices, but uh, actually, it's going to be at UFC 195, Michael McDonald against Masanori Kanahara. This was this was sick, man, because he was he was uh, really in huge trouble. He was. Um, deep in arm triangle, Michael McDonald was, and he used the fence. I, I think it was actually illegal what he did because he used his toes to kind of pry himself uh, against the over the fence and, and take Conor's back and, and tap him out. But man, think about it—he was like inches, centimeters away, getting all Canadian on you guys, centimeters away, and <laughs> uh, tapped out by Conahar which would which would have been one of the biggest upsets of the year. And all of a sudden, reverses it and gets the submission. Um, that was that was really sick, man. Am I picking knockout as well, or just submission right now? Uh, just, just submission, submission right now. now. Okay, yeah. So that's that would be my pick. I mean, there were some good ones, but yeah, that was wow. That was that was impressive.
0: What about you, Mike?
4: Oh, I, I like I said, it was uh, it was uh, Tate Tate over home.
0: Okay, okay, okay. And uh, let me see, Roy, my friend. I think you're the last one before me. What was your submission of 2016?
1: so i've got two uh for mma i'm gonna go for damien maya against carlos Condit. um i think like like you guys said the level of the opponent makes a lot of it, and the fact that maya just within two minutes uh had a flawless performance against Condit, took him down took his back and choked him out like that one was just amazing to me and uh first submission grappling i'm gonna go for gordon ryan submitting keenan cornelius because i think overall that's the most impressive submission in any sport this year I don't think Keenan had been submitted at all for like, maybe five or six years, and Gordon just like went went straight through him, which was awesome.
0: Yeah, I'm not going to argue with you there. Um, you know, like as since we definitely look at grappling on a, on more often than some guys do, and that submission of Keenan was a huge, huge moment um, in Gordon Ryan's career, and I think it's going to be. He's had a hell of a 2016. Didn't end great, you know, because he lost a couple weeks ago, but um, he's had a big 2016, and MMA, I'm also going to roll with you with um, Damian Maya as well, what he did to Carlos Condit because he basically went in there. I think Damian Maya has only taken, what was it, like 12? He's only been hit 12 times, 12, 14 times in his last four fights. I mean, this guy is stepping into a steel cage to fight men and they can't even get their hands on him because he's taking them down and submitting them or controlling them for so much of, of these fights. And I think we forget. We forget about how great this guy is. He's not even really being mentioned when it comes to the welterweight title. I mean, we're talking about Conor McGregor, Tyron Wooley, and completely ignoring Damian Maya. But his um, submission skills need to be recognized, and I want to definitely recognize him as a uh, submission of 2016.
4: He's a candidate for Dominic Cruz as his uh, manager. That's what he needs.
0: That's what he needs. You're <laughs> totally right. That's what he needs. He needs someone. He's so respectful, so nice, so kind, that people forget that this guy can rip your arm off
2: and beat you to death with it. If if You know what's, ha- you you know what's up, happening, know, job. Essentially, MMA is going to be turning into wrestling because you got fighters who can't talk. They need to hire managers who can do all their pros and speak for them at the uh, at the post-conference, at the pre-fight conference and the post-fight conference. In fact, I'm going to set up a site so I can start getting hired for this because these guys don't know what to say and who to call out, and they're making their jobs much more difficult, and their management ain't helping, so they need to get me up there on the podium, and I will get them the fight they need to get. I mean, and the best part is that
4: the best part is when you're Brazilian, you can just play the old Ed Suarez card. Well, not Ed Suarez, per, you know, intentionally, but, you know, just just get an interpreter and have the interpreter talk cash shit for the whole
2: Yeah, the, the, the whole Anderson Silva, as they call it. <laughs> exactly. Chael Sonnen, he's like, he speaks English. He just has him talking on his, yeah. He knows what he's <laughs>
0: Says, and that's that's the, that's best that's
2: part, the best part best would be
4: it. if you had my you know maya saying really respectful stuff in portuguese and then the interpreter just goes ham and says the most disrespectful <laughs> this, this, i mean he may
2: need to do that he may <laughs> need, he need to do it, to get it. Get like, like, shot. like these fighters so many times they drop the ball and i know it it comes off as corny me and me and raphael had this discussion i'm a fighter i'm a classy martial artist i get it i get all that i respect it I, I, I my family's full of martial artists i get it but this is a business and you need to play up whatever angle you need to play up to get the fans either for you or so hard against you that we're going to give you fights because we're you're drawing ratings because people want to see you lose or people want to see you win and they just keep dropping the ball on it that is a legit what you just said is actually a legitimate plan that some fighter is going to do and when he does it, everybody's going to say, this is ingenious. I can't believe that someone had thought of, of this earlier.
4: Well, remember, you guys you guys ever watch uh, Key and Peele? Uh, you know how they had the Obama anger trans—anger translator? Yeah, yep, that's exactly what I was thinking. That's what you need. You need the anger translator so that the fighter can maintain his facade of respect, but get out all the points that he needs to get out so that he builds up hype for his next fight
2: and just i know a lot of people don't watch boxing but if you've heard of danny garcia he's very respectful he says a couple things here and there but basically his dad talks all this trash and incites riots at fights tries to pick fights with other trainers pick fights with fighters and he gets all this attention because his dad is calling everybody out saying everybody's a bum my son can beat this guy beat that guy yes because son i'm just trying my best i'm going to do my best i'm just out here trying to be a pro and, and make myself proud and 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 on for my city and his dad's like f that that guy's a sucker when i see him in the shit, i'm gonna slap the at him
4: well maybe that's the future maybe that's what was really happening when sage northcutt was meeting the Diazes. maybe they're working that out right now and uh nick diaz is gonna be is, is gonna be uh sage northcutt's angle translator
2: oh man that i mean if people hate him now he'll be getting paid hundreds of thousands and he'll be on everything every single event every getting paid higher than the champions. I would pay so much money just to see Sage say something, oh, well, you know, I'm just a professional and I just, I hope both of us come out of this unscathed and Nick Diaz comes out, this dude's garbage. He can't do nothing to me. He can't even defend a double leg takedown. Oh my God, I would just pay money for the for the conference. I wouldn't even need to see the fight. Just pay money for the club conference. <laughs> yeah,
0: like like that is that's definitely becoming an, an interesting point of um of contention across MMA. So I wanna turn the focus on to the the next category, which is knockout of the year and um for myself, now I want to go with Lando Vanada's um, highlight reel win over John McDexie. It may not have the same amount of value as it does long term, but I think that's the type of performance that op- everyone already already knew Lando was something special after the way he performed a- against Tony Ferguson. But what he did in McDessie and the way that every it went silent. Adam, you were there. How quiet did it get when MacDessy's head hit the mat?
3: You know, it wasn't silent at all, man. I know. Canadian, but we just love great fights up here. And he just threw that spinning kick, and all of a sudden he was down. And and it took, I think it took people like a few seconds to realize, holy shit, he just got knocked out with a spinning wheel kick. That was crazy, man. So everyone was cheering. People just want to see good fights, man. That was an amazing knockout. Um, And again, you'd think that because he's Canadian getting knocked out, they'd boo him. But no, man, like Canadians, I'd like to think we were a pretty respectful crowd, and uh, that was pretty incredible. That's a good choice.
0: Yeah, that's definitely my pick of, um, for knockout of the year. Adam, I'm going to let you go ahead and continue from there. Uh, what's your pick of the number one knockout from 2016?
3: You know, I think we've been giving the UFC so much love. We haven't really uh, mentioned Bellator yet. I'm going to go with Michael Page against Cyborg Santos. With that, with that fight. Oh, I
4: forgot about that.
3: Yeah, I'm going to go with that, man, because that was arguably the most devastating knockout in MMA history. I mean, the guy's skull got crushed. Like, you saw the pictures going over social media the next day. Um, That's the kind of knockout that could potentially kill someone. I I don't want to laugh about it. I mean, it was just so nuts. I couldn't believe it.
4: Yeah, I mean, you're right. When it happened, it was was awesome. And then, you know, those pictures made their way around. We came dangerously close to a head trauma-related MMA death.
3: Yeah, and the guy's like, oh, I'm going to fight again in a few months. It's like, no, buddy. It's like, you should definitely retire after that, man. I mean, that's... That's the kind of injury. That's the kind of knockout that you, you should never fight again, if you ask me. And Michael Page, um, you know, I've criticized him because I I, I do believe that Bellator is giving him easy matchmaking. But to be fair, Cyborg is not a bad fighter, and he's a veteran of a lot of fights. So I thought he was going to at least be able to grind it, grind his way through that fight, and Page knocked him out with that flying knee. So I'm going to go with that, and, and yeah, that's my pick. I
0: mean, it's it's funny, but it's like you know. I'm still considering getting back into the cage for a one more fight before I call it call it done. But that watching that made me think twice. I looked at it, I was like, you know what? Maybe I'm good. I'm I'm good <laughs> with the full, with a fully functioning face
2: yeah. and
0: not having to deal with that. Like that, those are the type of knockouts. Those are the type of injuries that makes people reconsider their career. I have some training partners that have not watched that fight. They heard about it, but they have not watched it just for the simple fact of what happened to to Cyborg's face. And I totally agree with them 110% yeah um so rory i'm gonna throw it over to you next man what is your knockout from 2016 favorite knockout
1: um i'm gonna go with conor mcgregor against Eddie alvarez i think you know that was just like the perfect performance and given the stakes and the fact that mcgregor was moving up uh, i think was probably mcgregor's most impressive performance today and uh, i think it was it was probably the best technical boxing display we've seen and you have seen a long time and uh, it was definitely my knockout here.
0: Yeah, it was definitely a, um, a very amazing. I was surprised to see that finish as well, too. I didn't think that Alvarez was going to win that, but he definitely pulled out a, a big win there. Um, what about for you, Sean? What was your favorite knockout from
2: 2016? Uh, actually, I, I I had a tie. It wasn't going to be Paige v. Cyborg, but um, I'm actually going to probably go with as, just stated um McGregor over Alvarez Alvarez has been kind of shopworn he's been in a lot of wars he's been in a lot of fights and but one Alvarez had one of the best technical striking technical and strategical striking coaches in his corner and they came up with a very specific game plan and Eddie Alvarez is considered to have some of the better boxing in MMA and I've never seen him I've seen him lose I've seen him get knocked out I've never seen him truly outclassed, and he didn't look like he even belonged in the ring with Conor McGregor. I mean, I know both both have boxing training, but it looked like one person used to box and one person used to do boxer size. It wasn't even close. And I've never seen a guy so succinctly and completely shut someone's game down. It, it's, it, it was more impactful than the Aldo knockout because the Aldo knockout was one shot. Aldo didn't have a chance to recover. He didn't have a chance to reset and kind of make an adjustment. Alvarez had multiple chances to make adjustments. He had moments where he could have got his game going, but the things Conor McGregor was doing as far as feints, as far as positioning, as far as stance, it just essentially took him completely out of his game and turned one of the most seasoned and experienced MMA fighters in the history of MMA. It turned him into like a first time fighter who had no idea what to do and had no idea of where to go. And basically he threw out his whole game plan and just went in swinging like a guy who's in his first or second fight. That's how badly McGregor outclassed him. And that's the kind of technical performance and strategical performance you rarely see. Like, you see the dominant knockouts. You see the speed and the power. You don't see that sort of crispness, crispness, that sort of sharpness, those, those entries, those exits, those feints. You don't see that kind of stuff in MMA. Most guys in MMA can't box. They can punch really well. They can't box worth a damn. And to see that level was just awe-inspiring. And the worst thing about it is as good as he is, he is nothing compared to Floyd Mayweather, who he wants to box. So it, <laughs> it highlighted how incredible boxing is as a sport and how incre- incredibly valuable it is in MMA. But it also showed you how far behind these guys are because, I mean, I kid you not, I know, I know probably 17-year-olds who can outbox Conor McGregor, like straight up boxing. And, and he's considered one of the best in MMA. So that was my knockout. It, it was very impressive to see. It was very impressive on many levels. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree with you there. I
0: remember watching that fight and just like the first, the first punch, you know that this is going to go off the rails and it's going to be bad for Eddie. Um, Unfortunately, you know uh, he's someone that I've had the opportunity of training with in the past and that's someone I know is a is a quality guy, quality fighter. Like you said, he's done a lot for this sport. But from that first punch, you knew that this was going to go off the rails and that's exactly what happened there. Um, I want to make sure I give everybody a chance to pick their knockout of the year. So, Mike, you're you're up next. What was your knockout from 2016?
4: Well, my knockout was going to be uh, Cowboy over Brown, but being reminded of that cyborg getting knocked out by Michael Page, I mean, they're, they're in two different classes. You know, one is the kind of knockout that makes you go, you know, oh, and the other one is the kind of knockout that, like you said, makes you reconsider even the possibility of competing in the sport and you know it's like said, it's a next level knockout and then to see the aftermath you know when you show it to a lay person it, it re it almost reignites the debate about whether mma is too brutal so that's if we're when we're looking back you know five six years from now i think we're, we'll be looking at that knockout as one of the kind of bigger moments in the sport
0: yeah, it definitely was a, um, a crazy, crazy knockout. Like I said, those pictures still kind of make my eyes kind of look away from the horrors of it. So we have two categories left, fighter of the year and fight of the year. Um, we're going to start off with fight of the year, and I'm going to go ahead and go first. And I'm going to go with the very first title fight from 2016, Carlos Condit versus Robbie Lawler, because that was a um, crazy battle, an absolutely nuts fight, back and forth. I mean, it was everything that you want to see in in a um, MMA contest, and I think that that fight right there was a it was a changing point for both men. I think that um, neither guy is going to be the same going forward um, because it's just it's one of those fights that takes years off of people's lives. And it was it was one of those, it was again it's one of those fights that I think that if you show someone who's a casual fan can get them hooked, and it was everything that I, I could have asked for in a fight between two men fighting for the the welterweight title of the world. So, um, Adam, I'm going to go throw it over to you next, man. What was your favorite fight from 2016? Well,
3: like I was talking to Michael about on Twitter, like I think last week, I think there should be two awards, one for a five-round fight and one for a three-round fight. So for the five-round fight, I would definitely agree with you that Condit versus Lawler from UFC 195 would would be the the top five-round fight of the year. And that fight was incredible. It's crazy because I think it happened like January 2nd or January 3rd. Yeah, January 2nd. Yeah, and like everyone on Twitter that night, I remember was like, "Well, we just saw the fight of the year. And it's two days into the new year, which was crazy." And it, I think it held up for the most part, man. And that fight was incredible. That fifth round might be the best round of all time. I mean, that that was incredible. Such a good fight. Both guys showed a lot of heart in that fight. Incredible chins, durability. Like the amount of strikes landed in that fight. It's like like you just mentioned. It's one of those fights that really changes the complexion of both guys' careers. And both guys lost their next fight. Kondi didn't look good against Maya at all, although he got taken down and subbed. And Lawler got KO'd brutally by, by Tyron Woodley. So that was uh, that was pretty eye-opening. And for a three-round fight, obviously I'm going to go with Cobb Swanson versus Dugu Choi from UFC 206. I was there for that fight. The fight was crazy. Just any like good adjective that you could think of will describe that fight accurately because it was just ridiculously fun to watch. So much hard again for both guys. I can't believe that Choi didn't get knocked out. His chain is like on another level, and Swanson really showed that. You know what? A lot of people are counting him out. We're counting him out of that fight, and he showed why he's a veteran of the sport and and why he is still a contender and a top five fighter in that division. Um, although I do believe that Duhu Choi one day will be a, a contender again for the belt. So, both amazing fights. I love them both.
0: Yeah, man. Like, and I, I like how you went with three rounds and five rounds. If I if I would have thought of that too, I would have picked that that Troy and 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 Swanson fight just because it was it was a disturbing to watch. Again, it was one of those fights where you're like, uh, I think I'm pretty good. I think I'm gonna sit down and not want to get back in there. But it was it was a hell of a three round fight. Um, they gave it their all for those fifteen minutes, and they I was joking around, but I was like, you know, watching that fight, I think Swanson may have lost five years off of his life, and Troy may have lost a good seven or eight because they're never going to be the same, again, especially with Troy being so young, but that's the name of the game there. And so, Roy, what was your fight for, favorite fight from um, 2016? And, and and do it the same way Adam did. What was your favorite three-round? What was your favorite five-rounder?
1: I'm going to change it up a little bit. So I'm going to go for my my technical fight of the year and my war of the year. The war of the year has to be Troy v. Swanson. You know, that fight was just crazy. You guys said it was one of those fights we were watching it you kind of want to look away once you realize that these two guys are not going to be. Keep watching. It was just crazy. Um, But like for as far as fights that I watched, I learned the most by watching. I think Cruz V Dillashaw was just amazing. I I rewatched it earlier on today. And just by watching how those two guys um, adjusted to each other throughout that fight, you learn so much about the intricacies of uh, striking and mixed martial arts. And I think it was, like the highest level strike and fight that's went the distance that we've seen in the UFC because both guys were just on another level that night.
0: Yeah, like, like that, that was a crazy fight because it, it, it brought a—it brought to a head all of the questions about Dillashaw kind of mimicking Cruz's style for so long and now he was finally getting in there with the man who invented said style and, and everything was good but um, it was a close fight back to back. I'm looking forward to seeing the next time they get in there. Hopefully they can get in there if Lineker or excuse me, if um, Dillashaw can get past Lineker and Cruz can get past Garbrandt this weekend but those are two very tough fights for both men. Um, Michael, what was your top three and or do it however you want, man. What was your top fights
4: from 20, 2016? Yeah, I mean, from a three you know three round perspective, I got a pile on with the uh, Choi Swanson fight. Now, you know, you guys have said everything there is to say about that fight. Shawan wrote an incredible piece about it, which I'm going to plug um, about how it was a great fight. Well, actually, you wrote a good piece about it too, um, Rafael. But you know, um, the the one downside and the, and probably Part of why I'm taking um, part of why I'm taking Condit uh, Lawler down a little bit a, a notch is you know looking at it from what it meant for for the entire year, it ended up being I mean from a pure excitement standpoint it it set the bar, but I think that in terms of the importance of the fight because both fighters lost their next fight it became of diminished importance whereas my choice which is going to be diaz versus mcgregor 2 ended up being one of the most important fights of the year as well as one of the most exciting and dramatic fights of the year we essentially had over the last uh, couple rounds of the fight conor mcgregor rescue his career from what would have been a devastating loss, second loss um, over an unheralded, um, at least you know, at, you know, at a world class level fighter, and you know he, at, if he loses that fight, I doubt he gets the headlining spot at 205. I doubt he gets uh, put in a op- in, in a position to become the history making biggest star in in the business I, I think he has to lick his wounds a little bit i think he has to kind of rebuild and the whole conor mcgregor uh, money train stops and you know that was the moment that all of the haters all of the people who doubted him and doubted his heart thought he might have been a front runner thought he you know could have couldn't stand up to a, a a well-rounded fighter they had to shut up they had to be proven wrong and you know it was in many ways the coronation before the coronation now granted i think it was a draw (laughs) i don't i don't actually think he won the fight but the fact that he was there when when it when it was all said and done and got his hand raised and was able to hold his head high as as a warrior and as a fighter i think i think all of the the notches from a you know if this were pro wrestling again bringing back to pro wrestling i mean this is your wrestlemania or this is you know your your guy pulling out the fight and almost doing the double turn where you go from heel to face. You know, I think that McGregor did it did it all and then, you know, all he had to do was win his fight at 205 and crown himself fighter of the year. I mean, I'm, I'm giving it up I'm giving it away now. <laughs> but but I think that that was the I think that was a fight that solidified it for me at least.
0: That was that was definitely quite the moment there, um, and yeah, it did go a long way. in, I don't want to say saving Conor's career, but it helped him get to that point where he's at now, uh, making ridiculous amounts of money and being able to demand so much. So yeah, it was definitely a huge moment there. And Shuan, what about you, man? What was your pick for fight of the year for 2016?
2: I had a couple. Uh, I'll first agree. Uh, I think it was Roy earlier. Cruz v. Dillashaw. The reason I'm going with that one. Is because, and a lot of these fights we, we consider fights of the year, it's all because it's, te- it's testing the durability, the volume, the offensive skills. In Cruz v. Dillashaw, we actually saw a high caliber, or high impact, high paced fight that involved legitimate strategical and technical defense. And that's not what you can say for many of those fights that we consider the best fights. It's always like two guys just bombing on each other. One guy gets hurt, the other guy comes back. It, it's not so much a lack of it's not so much a lack of offensive skill but a lack of defensive craft and awareness under duress we so rarely see we see guys who when there's no pressure on them or when they're clearly the superior fighter they show these slips and these dips and these angles and these pivots the minute the fight becomes competitive or they don't have a clear athletic advantage all of a sudden it turns into a a, bit, a, a technically a technically somewhat technically suspect brawl and in this fight you had a guy working at a high volume throwing not just throwing throwing typical combinations he's throwing high kicks throwing low kicks he's throwing the hands instead of the low kicks he's throwing the high kicks to set up a jab at a combination he's countering he's leading and you had Cruz who isn't just working strictly defense he's pivoting away he's using a feint to create create a way to exit out when you have him trapped on the fence he'll fake the takedown and he knows he can't get it you'll sprawl he'll spin out turn you against the fence and and then open up with his own offense it had multiple layers and when they made when they made adjustments it wasn't just this guy made an offensive judgment like fake the jab and then go the minute he made that adjustment adjustment the guy on the other end had a defensive answer for it and that's what i really appreciated because it showed both ends and very rarely do fights of the year show both ends as far as being physical and technical being offensive and defensive, defensively sound and that fight did it Um, My other option would have actually been, uh, I agree with Mike, it was Diaz versus McGregor and not so much, the fight of course was great, but the thing that really stood out to me was the first time, in my opinion, that John Cavanaugh, McGregor's coach, had to actually do some coaching. He's actually been able to get by on McGregor's distancing, his timing, his power, his speed, his accuracy, and I'm not saying they don't work on those things, but a lot of that is natural talent. For once his natural talent and his cockiness and his swagger couldn't get him through to a win and he actually had to do his job and you all know i regularly rail on mma corners because they don't do anything they don't they, they don't give good advice they see what's happening and they tell their they tell their they tell their fighter to stick to plans that aren't working they tell him all these get in his face push a pace that doesn't work you have to actually tell him something that fits in the situation he's in how about fake a jab and throw the right hand how about step off at an angle so he's not forcing you to defense and beating you up? How about faking a jab and then go for go for the takedown instead of shooting for a wide open takedown and getting neat in your head? They just they just watch fights. They're like fans. They're they're fans who who have the rooms paid for and who get paid a salary to cheer and say he's hurt. You've seen the the Greg Jackson clip where he's hurt, he's hurt, and he's like, "Shut up! You can't. You're you're not a fan. You're not watching this on TV. This is your fighter. This is your charge. Coach him." Don't just ride the coattails and take, all the, and take all the credit. Do your job and have something intelligent and something beneficial to the fighter to say to them. And for once, Kavanaugh had to, he actually reined McGregor in instead of letting McGregor do what he wanted. Hey, pull back, counter, make him come to you, spin out, stop standing in with him, make sure you work the body. All the stuff he could have done in the first fight and won it, but for some reason his camp totally ignored that stuff. Side tip to all y'all, if you have a short notice fighter, you attack the body. I don't care if it's a Diaz or not short notice you attack the body everybody should know that and if you don't know it you need to find a new coach but for once in his life he actually had to coach somebody through tough spots and i was impressed because the last previous times mcgregor had been in tough spots he had lost and lost decisively by by submission so for once he had to guide him through a tough spot and motivate him when he was he he, things were going downhill and he needed to turn them around and that's why that was important to me because it actually shows what happens when a coach actually is engaged and feels his reputation's on the line, what difference he can make in a fighter. And most times more, more times than not, MMA fights aren't decided by their coaches because the coaches are saying just ridiculous things that don't make any sense and don't help anybody.
0: Sorry about that, but yeah um Man, Shuar's gonna, gonna miss to around and make some enemies talking
1: about
4: coaching. <laughs> but you know, I'm 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 a fan of him. I'm, I'm need, a fan. Listen, of I You need to cue up the you need to cue up the Nas, if you
2: know the yeah, last seriously.
4: And when when it happens, you just gotta you know you gotta throw that throw that uh what do you call it? Throw that instrumental on. You gotta keep it at Man. the ready.
2: And just a side note, guys, I'm not saying this to, to show off because all y'all are very <laughs> y'all are more accomplished in life than I am. Y'all do a lot more than I do, but. I don't just say this stuff because I'm just like, there's been people I've sat in, I've sat in gyms when people had fights coming up and they told me this is what I'm going to do against this person. I'm like, that's not going to work. They tell me, what do you know? You're just some guy who watches fights. Fine. Do what you want. They get knocked out. I talk to coaches. I've had coaches be like, Hey, why don't you come down to our gym? We can help mentor you and get you into coaching or wherever you train. We'll talk to your head coach and get you into coaching. I just have kids. I don't have time to focus a hundred percent on that, but the stuff I'm saying isn't stuff I just make up. I, like, talk to people. I understand what what I'm seeing. So I'm not just making up random comments just because it sounds good. Some of these guys don't know what they're doing. I mean, listen to the comments. He's hurt. Get in his face. He's beating you to the punch, so throw throw more punches. How about fake? And when he counters, when he comes back to fire on you, you duck under his jab and you counter to the body. How about working the body instead of just forcing him up against the cage? This is common sense stuff that any coach should say, and you never hear it said. You just have to get in his face. Take him down. Take him down. Well, obviously he can't. That's the problem. How does he take him down? Why aren't you telling him that? Or you're losing a fight. You need to get away from those punches. Well, thank you. Thank you for telling me that I'm losing and I need to get away from punches. How would you suggest I get away from the punches? And if your fighter doesn't know how to do that in the moment, that means you didn't train him well enough during the camp. He should already know what to do, and you just need to remind him in tough spots. If he has no idea how to slip a jab, or no idea how to jab to the body, or no idea how to faint with his feet or faint with a jab, you're not doing your job. If he doesn't know how to control someone on the ground, you're not doing your job. If he doesn't know basic submission ex- escapes, what is he paying you for? What are you getting 15% of his salary and getting credit for all his wins for when you're not preparing him how to work out of the worst possible situations? What are you getting paid for? That's all, that's all Man, I'm asking. I'm, I'm asking for the fighter. Because I would hate to be a person who only makes $16,000. I have to give this dude over here 3000 of it, and essentially the only reason I won is because I'm fast, I'm explosive, I can take a beating, and I can hit hard. What am I paying you for? Anybody could have taught me to just get beat up for three rounds and pull it out with a knockout. What did you do?
0: Yeah, like that's going to be some um, – those are always great questions to ask, man, and I think that you do a fantastic job of raising those questions when you talk about the instructions that fighters are given when they're um, in bad situations but then in, in the cage or even in good situations so i definitely commend you on
2: your work from there they need and to text me in between rounds and i can tell them what they should do <laughs> just, just, just text me i will tell you i don't know if you can do it but i'll tell you what you can do when you get interviewed after the fight tell them what i said they'll be like that's a good idea why didn't you do that uh you i had to need to, to rig up day. we just need to bring up a hotline
4: Shawan to various earpieces all around MMA world, and just have Shawan give his bars or his words of wisdom, and everyone will be better for it.
2: I'm, I'm telling you, every UFC fight night, lowercase hashtag MMA ratings. Watch, watch how I be murdering these corners, and watch how many people retweet and say, "I don't know why they're not doing that. I don't get it. That that's common sense. That's the perfect game plan. How is he not doing that?" I don't know, man. I'm just some guy on Twitter. What do I know?
0: <laughs> you heard it. You
4: heard it. Here. Yeah, yeah. You heard it so, here.
2: <laughs> I'm sorry about that,
0: guys. The last category we're going to look at today is always the most important, always the fun, the most um, to argue about. But uh, fighter of the year for 2016, and um, this is pretty interesting. It's always this is always a hard, hard conversation because you can pick from just about. Anyone, I mean, hell, Amanda Nunes can win on Friday, and she can be a um, uh, a point of of contention for Fighter of the Year for 2016. But I want to go ahead and go first, and I want to pick my
2: way to getting the award. Her cardio is awful. She up with the steps and be dead.
0: Yeah, I mean, she has, she has a, she has a tough way to get there. But I mean, anything's, anything's possible. But um, my pick for fighter of the year for 2016, I'm going to go with Michael Bisbing. and just I've never been the biggest fan of him to begin with. Um, I've always thought he's been someone that's been gifted a lot when it comes to the MMA because they wanted to build the um, the UFC's presence in Europe around him. So he was gifted a lot of opportunities, but to see what he's done, he's come back from a a serious eye injury this year and he had that upset win over Luke Rockhold on short notice and he's defeated Anderson Silva he's done some great things this year I and I'm just giving him the, and I would think he's he's my pick for 2016 not off of a huge you know he hasn't been on a on a major major run but I think this is this is the big year where if his career ended today we can say he's not a failure we can say that he, that he wasn't someone who was or who was overrated or anything like that. I think that this year kind of draws a good conclusion for what we've seen for Michael Bisbee. Um, Adam, let's, let's go to you next, man. Who was your fighter for 2016?
3: Yeah, uh, I got to go with Conor McGregor, man. I think it's the first time I've ever picked someone for fighter of the year that actually lost in that year, but I have to go with Conor because first off, the lo- I mean, I'm not going to excuse the loss. Obviously, he lost that fight. He got pretty much dominated, in the- especially in the second round and kind of got exposed with his ground game a little bit. But uh, the fact that he was able to, first off, take the loss like a champ, unlike Ronda Rousey, who's, uh, you know, hide away for a year, sulks, cries in the pillow. This guy took it like a champ, did all the press conferences, you know, that said all the right things, asked for a rematch at 170. This guy's this guy was fighting at 145, six months before that. That's for a rematch, even three months before that, I should say, excuse me. As for a rematch at 170, goes was out there and beats PS, who just beat him a few months earlier. And then, you know, less than a year after beating Jose Aldo in 13 seconds, knocking out one of the best fighters of all time in 38 seconds, goes in there against Eddie Alvarez and knocks him out to win the UFC lightweight title, UFC 205 November. Not only that, um, with his performances inside the cage, it's, it's also the fact that he – Truly became a superstar this year. I, I believe if you look at the pay-per-view buy rates. I'm looking at at them right now. I mean, 1.6 million, 1.6 million. Like, it's I'm, and there's no 205 buy rate that I that I've seen. I just did a quick Google search. Maybe Meltzer had something, but I didn't see it. Yet. But I'm assuming it did like over 1.6. Maybe do over two million, possibly. And the guy, the guy's really become the must-watch firing sport and. And he's just an amazing fighter, man. And, and, and like I said, it's not just the fact that he's great in the cage, but he also really backs it up with his talk. And and he just, he's just someone that the UFC really desperately needed when all these guys like GSP and Anderson became kind of shotborn. Even John Jones, obviously, with his with his problems with Usada and whatnot, and uh, with the law, with his you know with the car accident, with the broken arm and stuff. So I think Conor came around at the right time. And and to me, he's the fighter of the year.
0: Hit that pick man i'm not paying. i know Connor mcgregor's gonna be on top of a lot of people's lists and um well I, I may say some detractors some detractions i have about him later on but let's go to mike mike you're next who is your um 2016 Fighter of the year
4: dude adam already said it it's connor's world and we're just living in it you know he took this he took this sport by storm and you know he made believers out of whoever was left he solidified himself as the biggest star in, in the sport, and he did something that's never been done. He won two titles. He he won two titles at the same time. He put he he solid he silenced the notion forever that fighters under 170 could not draw. I mean, you know, I mean that's been my pet peeve point. for for years. I mean, he's he made history. And he did it while taking a loss. <laughs> right? and, I mean, he, it has to be from beginning of the year to the end of the year. He, it was, he's been on the, on the map and he's been carrying the sport on his shoulders.
3: Let me just say one quick thing. Um, if you look at it, like, I know the year started January 1st or whatever, but if you look at it as, you know, December 12th, when he knocked out Aldo to like two weeks ago, December 12th, within that 12 month period, he knocked out Jose Aldo. He knocked out Eddie Alvarez. He beat uh, Nate Diaz in three different weight classes. That's the crazy part, man. Within 12 months, this guy, this guy's the best fighter in the planet right now. To me, he's the number one pound-for-pound fighter. I know Demetrius Johnson has an argument, obviously, to be made, but to me, Conor McGregor's doing it. He's actually going out there and beating guys at different weight classes, which is the definition of pound-for-pound. If you ask me, the guy's incredible,
4: man. I mean, but here's the thing: the Nate Diaz fight—he's still fighting a lightweight, even if he's fighting him at 170.
3: I can't disagree with that. Although, according to Dana White, Nate Diaz is like a light heavyweight or something. He's
0: saying. Yes. <laughs> I'll get the, don't, don't ever. Don't, okay, we have one rule here, Adam. We do not quote Dana White as fact. One oh rule. yeah, that's right. Dana White's not a reliable source, right? He's <laughs> right. not fact. No, okay,
3: today, I don't know if you saw it. Today, I'm getting a little off topic here, but today at the uh, media scrum or whatever, you just. Talking to uh, your your friend Luke Thomas there, at Ra- Rafe. And he's saying, like, hey, Luke, I think Nate, Nate, Nate's bigger than you. And Luke's like, what are you talking about, man? He's Dude, like-
0: <laughs> Luke's like 6'4, <laughs> easy 250. Easy 250. And I'm like, he's wait, like, what? He's
3: got, like, he's got photos on his phone. He's like, look at this guy, man. He's like five times the size of Connor. It's like, what are you talking about?
0: Like, I, uh, like and, they, and the worst just, part about it is they have a camera in front of Dana's face, so you know it's going to go on social media. And he keeps running with the story. So you I got to
4: I'm, like, I'm going to get started now. 2017 hasn't started yet. But my No my
0: wait, 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 Mike, hold hold that hold that hold that. We got we got our, our the last part is we're gonna go over what we're gonna see happen in twenty sixteen. So whatever you're about to say, whatever prediction you have, hold on to that. No no this isn't
4: a prediction. This is a campaign. Okay. This is a campaign that I'm starting where Donald Trump or Dana White, that's my <laughs> that's my campaign because I don't believe anything that either of those men say. And I don't think <laughs> you should either.
0: That's, that's, that's not a bad way to live by, man. So, um, Roy, who do you have for your fighter of 2016?
1: Okay, so in terms of, like, as an overall presence in the sport, I think it's hard to go against Conor McGregor. But I think Adam is crazy if he thinks he's the pound-for-pound best fighter in the world. I think that's just, <laughs> like, the dude got bad. The dude, he, he's lost so many rounds this year, it's crazy. You know, Demetrius Johnson hasn't lost a round in, like, well, he lost one round this 10, year. But like, other than
3: oh, that... He's got 10, eight round almost talking
2: about
1: well man. he didn't he didn't get tapped out oh he
2: was like most exactly. we're top of that you know i credit to well, Dem- he, guy's amazing. he was fighting a guy who wasn't even ranked in the ufc at the time at least connor got tapped up by a ranked but, fighter yeah
1: but Demetrius but getting best everyone else
2: that's the difference getting tapped out by ideas, ideas isn't very embarrassing i mean that happens to a lot of people i'm not saying i agree i'm just yeah, saying
1: absolutely but that's like getting <laughs> knocked out by
2: mike tyson that's not
1: embarrassing. Mike Tyson knocked out. It's, it's not, but it doesn't make you pound for pound best fighter in the world. if you oh, get I agree. <laughs> I agree. Dude. But like, in terms of actual performances this year, uh, Steve Miocic. No one's talking about him, but he knocked out what two guys in the first round, um, which was pretty <laughs> incredible. Won the heavyweight title. I was I was pretty impressed with that. Um, Bisping obviously was amazing, and I think. If Dominick Cruz wins against Cody, he, he has a shout for Fighter of the Air as well. It's all up in the air now. If I was forced to pick now, I'd probably go Bisping, as an for achievements and performances.
4: I definitely think that if we're talking about, I don't know if you guys talked about comeback fighter of the year. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that there's a really strong argument for Bisping, even though where he was coming from was not that far. I think that the story of bisping reinventing himself as as a champion and as the standard bearer for a division is is worthwhile but I don't think it I still think that he has a lot to prove in terms of putting his stamp on the year and as far as Steve Miochik, I think he just suffers from being in this either the weakest or the second weakest division in this in the sport and he's never going to get the respect, especially if he never fights Cain Velasquez, and it's probably never gonna happen, right? So, he's the, the people that he's gonna be fighting in order to prove himself as the best heavyweight in the world, I don't think, I mean, not, not since the days that Pride was up and running has the UFC heavyweight division
1: seemed this bare. That, that's a good argument. Um... I think yeah, as you said, the heavyweight division is is bare, but he's beaten everyone in front of him and he's looked impressive doing it. Uh, obviously like there's lots of questions still to be asked about him, but I think he had a pretty good year. Yeah. Um uh, you know, he's pretty much flawless this year. And I, I think that can't be said about a lot of champions. Yeah, I wouldn't say that. I mean you almost
3: got knocked open over over and I mean that was True. You know, but he looked it's great. It's <laughs> four
1: AM here. And you need to cut me some slack.
3: Oh, no problem. <laughs> no, no problem. oh no, yeah, I'm not trying, hey, man. You, hey man, you made some good points. Like again, like you know, I, I would go with Connor for pound for pound just because he's winning in different weight classes. But like, like you said, he did lose this year, so I can't like forget about that. Obviously, um, but you know what? No one, no one's perfect in this sport, man. You know, like even the best fighters lose rounds, even the best fighters lose fights. That's what makes it. That's what makes it such a great sport. And, you know, you look at a guy like Michael Bisping, the guy like basically lost vision in one of his eyes, he came back and. <laughs> Michael Bisping, uh, one of my friends, Carlin Bardsley, said this. He said, Michael Bisping's the first guy to win fight of the year who was also knocked out in the same year because if you look at the Anderson Silva fight, he
4: Yes! Carlin <laughs> got knocked out. He was out. He how out? much different is this year if Anderson Silva gets that knockout?
3: Wow, that's crazy. Uh, how if Chris Wyman never gets injured and Chris Wyman fights Luke Rockhold in the rematch instead? You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah,
0: It could be a crazy year. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think you've picked up who would How
3: if RDA never got hurt and fought Connor? What would have happened in that? Oh, part? the first time.
0: Yeah. I mean, what
3: was
2: that Diaz. Was the Seriously, that's that's a get. piece that someone should write.
3: Yeah.
4: No, I oh, know. That's that's what would have happened? Yeah. Someone should write MMA, MMA, what, if MMA 20, what If for 2016.
0: That could be a show all by itself. Oh, yeah. New show. Go ahead,
2: Schwann. <laughs> Go ahead, Swan. Who you as fight of the year? Off a side note, isn't it funny how when Bisping was dropping Anderson Silva, everybody was like, well, Silva's chin must be gone because Bisping can't punch. And then he turns around and knocks out Luke Rockhold with one shot. So yeah. instantly, yep. instantly legitimizes Anderson Silva because he was more competitive with, with um, Bisping than Rockhold was. In fact, <laughs> You're right. in fact, two old guys past their prime were more competitive with Bisping than Luke Rockhold was. Rocco got iced in one round, or like two rounds. And Hendo and Anderson had Bisping in all sorts of trouble multiple occasions in a fight, yeah. which is hilarious on so many levels, in my opinion. Yeah, and um, I,
3: you know, I thought I thought Bisping lost that fight. To be honest with you, although it doesn't matter because he didn't win, he he didn't win the decision. But uh, you know, Bisping, you always got criticized for having pillow hands, quote unquote. But you know, this guy, this guy has more wins by knockoff than any other method of victory in his career he's to me he's an underrated finisher
2: um well they say that because when you land that many punches on somebody you should actually they should actually have a chalk out, outline around them the fact that he lands that many punches and it's tkos it's like you don't hit that, you can't true. land that many punches and only tko somebody should be not like flat like aldo knocked out true. but he can't crack it's just volume i mean it's impressive but it's still just yeah. volume he, he can't punch. that's fair well he knocked out rockhold but rockhold's chin is a little questionable if you ask me. Rockwell can't box. That's why he got you don't lean on a jab. You don't do that and you don't get knocked out. That's just poor boxing. I'm calling that <laughs> out on the game. Overrated. He can't box. If he could box, he'd be the greatest middleweight of all time, but he can't. That's why he got beat by a thirty seven year old guy who never won a title. With one eye. Just a fact. You.
0: So let's 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 play a little game now guys. Let's play a little game gonna,
2: so we looked at who are um who are award winners oh, were for 2016? McGregor. I, I, I'm going with him because he beat two. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Wait. He beat all. T- he beat two all- all-time greats. Just between him beating Alvarez, even though Alvarez wasn't what he used to be, and him being Aldo, that essentially would make any other fighter's career right there. Those are beating two all-time greats. The only 45 champion prior to him, and a guy who's won belts in almost every single in like three or four other organizations and had been one of the most experienced and winningest um, fighters in lightweight history. And he stopped them both within a round. And um, those two guys are all, those are first first ballot Hall of Famers, all-time greats. And he beat them both. If you beat two all-time greats in, in any point in your career, that that essentially makes your career in boxing, that could make your career in the NFL. Um, he did it in, the, in basically the same calendar year. And it's, it's hard to overlook that. I know he lost. But essentially, those two wins overshadow almost anything anybody else had done because Demetrius Johnson has won more. But who is he beating? Is he beating guys who were po- pound for pound entrants at any point in their career? Not really. Cejudo, Benavides? No. I mean, Cruz beat TJ Dillashaw, but I knew he was going to beat him in the first place. And Dillashaw is good, but he's not great. He's not an all-time great right now. And everybody else who's beaten somebody hasn't really beaten. An all- Maybe Steepy Miokic is the only the guy who can say he's beat two all-time greats because he beat. Verdum, and he beat Overeen. Who else, else beat the caliber of opponent in any in the same in the same year, one after the other? It's uh-huh. Miocic and, and McGregor. I will go with Demetrius Johnson, man. I'm not gonna I'm I am not going to i am i to argue there. I mean
0: he's beaten a I have to look real quick, but yeah, everyone's gonna look at how he had a slow start against um Tim Elliott.
4: And remember um, I had Tim Elliott we accidentally at ranked just because he left the UFC didn't mean his ranking went away, guys. Well, That's fair. He was like number fifteen or something like that. That's fair. He, he wins
2: in more ways, he's got better skills, but he has never beaten two all time the only all time great he fought was Dominic Cruz and he lost. He hasn't That's, I, I, I want to argue
0: with that. Like it's cause that he has a wins over Joseph competitive fight, And it was five
2: years ago.
0: He has two wins over Joseph Benavidez. the last man who really like the one of the only guys who really pushed Dominic Cruz and got his and has a split decision loss to him. He Benavidez
2: has two wins over Benavidez and a win over Johnson. That's my point.
0: We talking No, 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 no. Like like, like I'm not saying that. I think you
4: say I'm Johnson, not saying that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean the problem with Johnson yeah, yeah, like is that Johnson's position in the division makes it impossible for anyone else in the division to establish himself as an all-time great he's the only he's the alpha and omega when it comes to flyweight
2: yeah, yeah. and I, I respect that but he could had he had he won at 35 he never would have dropped the fight and i'm not i'm not saying i don't think he's a better fighter i'm not even saying there's not an argument i'm just saying conor mcgregor's beat every, everybody cracks on his level of competition most of the guys he fought were title contenders or top ranked guys, and then he beat the two, two all two Hall of Famers. First, first ballot, all time great Hall of Famers. You do that, and that's an. Impre- if it was anybody else but Conor McGregor, people would be like, "Oh, this guy's a clear fighter." He beat Anderson Silva, and no, no, I'm agreeing.
4: Fighter years. I thought we we're debating whether he's the top found, pound for pound fighter.
2: I I don't think you can go top pound for pound unless you're going by level of competition because just those two wins are better than any two wins on Demetrius Johnson's entire resume. In one year, he beat 90% of the fighters in, in the UFC and 90% of the fighters in Bellator. He beat their whole career resume with two wins. Two wins.
0: I'm going to disagree with you on
4: that. You get on a Highlander style? You're saying that by beating them, he takes all the souls
0: of the people that, all that they beat?
2: <laughs> <laughs> if, you're, if you're boxing and you beat Canelo and you beat Floyd Mayweather, that's – that's essentially most boxers' career. They don't beat an, most people. Don't ever beat an all-time great. You beat two. You beat two in two different weight classes. Who else? Who well, else can say that? Who else can say they faced that's... the two best guys, pound for pound, or two guys who were best in their division and are all-time greats and have won everywhere they went, all over the world, fought a who's who of opponents, and you beat them and made it look easy. It wasn't even close. One guy one-shotted. The other one got hit with a four-piece and was and it was done. I don't see how people can overlook that. People
4: well, it's not, no, it's not that we're overlooking it, it's that we're trying to contextualize it. You know, I think I mean, grant even even now when we talk about the Aldo fight, we acknowledge that it was a one-punch knockout. So we don't know. We 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 say that the win is legitimate, and it is, and it is legitimate, but we we can't say that it undoes the whole resume that Aldo has put together. We can't say that. That we, we we can't say that if you lined up all the fighters that that Aldo had to fight in order to build his resume, that McGregor could consistently do the same thing in the division just because he beat Aldo.
2: Yeah, but that's my that's my point. It doesn't undo it. I don't think of Aldo as less great. I, like fighters, they do this themselves. They say this guy's a bum. So when you beat him, why am I impressed? You just told me he's a no talent bum. I'm not saying Aldo's a bum. I'm saying Aldo's one of the best fighters of all time, and you iced him with one shot. Eddie yep. Alvarez, whatever you think of him right now, is one of the best lightweight and MMA fighters of all time, and you made it look easy. No one had ever made it look easy with Alvarez. Nobody made it ever look easy with Aldo, and you beat those guys in the same calendar year. I know there was a loss between it. I acknowledge that he got lost, he got finished, but you, those two wins. Name me another fighter who's got that kind of those kind of names on his resume, and, and those guys had titles and were considered some of the best fighters at the time. You beat him, O'Ree wasn't considered the very best at the time he was beaten tj dillashaw wasn't considered an all-time great when Cruz beat him that he i mean
4: mean, we probably have to take it back to when rampage uh when rampage beat henderson and um
0: Yeah.
2: yeah there you go exactly i mean that rampage has been living off that for how long that's very true. That's very true. To, 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 to save Rorick,
0: I know it's like 5 a.m. where he is now. We're going to play a little game to close out the show today. Um, I want you to give one prediction that will occur in 2017, um, and it can be within MMA as a whole. I'm going to go ahead and start so you have an idea. But my prediction is that Dana White is no longer with the UFC by December 31st, 2017.
4: Ooh. Bold. I was like yep. that. That guy's, a, that guy's a dick. Wait, wait, wait. wait quick, quick question. When you say no longer with the UFC, you mean – as the spokesperson, or you mean affiliated in any way?
0: I I believe he's going to cut ties with the UFC the same way the Fatita brothers did. I think he's going to take his money and run. Not saying not not say it's going to be a controversy or a scandal around him, but I think he's going to be fed up with the way the the new leadership is pushing the the, the organization, and they're going to begin to, to take power from him. They're going to begin to take take more of those decisions that he's been making for so long out of his wheelhouse and he's going to step out of his role well
2: he is a bit of a liability if
0: you think about it i
4: mean do we know i mean
0: i don't you guys are reporters
4: i'm not um do we know who's who handles negotiations whether it's still dana white as far as with negotiating with fighters
0: some of it some of it is, is has been the uh two two matchmakers that i i know of i know that they've talked to some people i've known just directly um dana still de- deals with some of the bigger name fighters himself but um i think all of that is, is going to eventually change okay and go ahead adam you're up first man what is your prediction for 2017
3: oh man and i'm i don't know it's tough all right all right here's my prediction um there will be an interim title created in in every other division.
4: <laughs> <laughs> How, over under over under six interim
2: titles.
3: We will have an interim title and a real champion in each division for no reason, and then we might have an interim. Actually, no, we already have an, interim,
2: <laughs> have an interim interim champion. In boxing, we call that a super champion.
3: But we'll have an interim 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 <laughs>
0: You're right. You're right. So, honestly, <laughs> honestly,
3: honestly, my 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 you know prediction is John Jones reclaims the number one pound for pound ranking in the sport. I think he's going to come back next July. He's going to come back sober. He's going to come back healthy, clear-minded and he's going to knock out Daniel Cormier or submit him or rumble whoever has the title then and reclaim his spot. And is he moving up? Is he moving up oh, you know what? That's, that's a good thing to think about. I don't think he's going to move up this year or sorry, in 2017. I think I think if he comes back, wins that fight, there's no one left for him to fight really, so he'll move up in 2018. And I think he can win the heavyweight title. I think John Jones is the best fighter of all time. So So here's so here's, the, so here's the,
4: let me help you out on the prediction. Sure. So by the end of twenty seventeen, will they announce that John Jones will be facing Steve Miocic?
3: Well, I don't think is uh, gonna win the title. That's my other prediction. I think I think oh. Junior DeSantis is gonna win the title next year. I think JDS is gonna Come turn the clock back a bit and beat the guy he's already beaten. He's going to beat him again. So I think that's the fight we're going to see in 2018. I'll make that prediction now. Jones, JDS.
1: 2018.
3: In Brazil? No, not Brazil, in Brazil, in Vegas. Okay. And I, I'm going to get a ticket to go because that's going to be the fucking best fight ever. It's going to be so <laughs> sick.
0: <laughs> All right, Rosa, so you're up next, man. What is your prediction for 2017?
1: Okay, my prediction is Connor McGregor fights his next fight in the welterweight division. Um, and he does it against Tyron Woodley and he wins. Oh my God. I am going to knock out Tyron Woodley. Wow. wow. I was going to say he was going to fight. I, I've, said that, I've said that
2: before. I've said that before. What? Woodley's big and strong. But McGregor, he, he has legitimate power. He's very accurate. And Woodley has terrible exits when he, he tries to strike. If he misses, he ex- he exits on a straight line. And if you exit on a straight line against McGregor, it's essentially your ass. So McGregor can get him. I don't know if he will, but McGregor can get him.
1: Well, yeah, yeah. I think
2: it's really McGregor- an easier fight for McGregor than,
1: um, than Diaz or Nurmagomedov. McGregor's great at fighting stocky wrestlers that have bad exits. So he's just going to knock him out. If they fight, he knocks him out. Woodley will stand with him and he'll get caught.
4: Listen, if McGregor beats... Tyron Woodley. We need to make McGregor versus Anderson Silva. do <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll let him fight Bisbing oh, to win the
3: middleweight title too.
2: <laughs>
3: can move up and fight Jones for the ultimate. <laughs> <laughs>
2: you, know, you, know the, you know the funny thing about it—the way Bis- Bisbee got timed by Henderson. Are you telling me McGregor couldn't time Bisbee <laughs> <laughs> hey, You know what? Ireland versus I, England, Christ guys. Christ. That's the biggest fight ever.
4: Yeah. Oh my God. They have to do that. Ireland versus England in the football stadium. Holy shit!
2: <laughs> well, the fight never happened because there would be riots in the crowds. You see the soccer game, so you know what the fight's gonna be like. <laughs>
3: no, I I just I want to say that I think that's a good prediction by Roy because I there's a lot of like you know build up to that a lot of hype to, behind that fight and and like you said Roy I think that's an easier style matchup than Habib is. I don't think I don't think Conor wants to fight Habib.
2: You know, I think Khabib- he'd, he'd have to retire from MMA. Y'all do know that, right? He can't come back in that loss.
3: Yeah, no. His, really? Khabib is like the Conor's kryptonite because his wrestling is like it's the best wrestling, obviously, in that division. So, I, but you I know what's scary I, though?
0: You know what's I really scary? You Roy made a
3: call
4: good point. Him future interim lightweight champion Khabib Nurmagomedov.
0: Future interim lightweight <laughs> champion Conor McGregor. <laughs> you know, like you know what's scary though? Like Roy brought up a good point that if. McGregor moves a 170, but like um, Luke Thomas was talking about it on his show this morning, he was talking about the idea of McGregor moving up to 170 and facing someone like a Damian Maya. No, he would, he, he wants. Was, he, wants he, yeah. he wants no. He wants no part of of of, of, of Maya because he's huge, and yeah. the minute that that fight hits the ground, he's gonna rip off some body part and feed it to him. And
4: that's where right. my prediction comes in, which is McGregor versus GSP the return fight, that fight. and then if no he part. wins that fight then he calls out the champion
3: I, wow that'd be crazy you know what that'd be the biggest fight of all time in may right wouldn't it would G- that G- that yeah no. it
4: would be if huge. you're gonna do that fight would you do it in toronto
3: uh roger center fifty-five thousand. sure i mean why not or you could do it in cork park although i don't know if they're gonna be able to do it because of the time difference and also like the noise order Noise ordinances. I think you could do that in Toronto and sell out fifty-five thousand easily. You know? Oh yeah, easily.
4: I mean, I think. Yeah, and you know, the pay-per-views. You sell the pay-per-views. You get all of Canada back on board. Oh with yeah, views.
3: They, you know what? They gotta get GSP back, man. They really gotta just pay him what he wants and bring him back. You know, he's worth the investment. if You ask me, but
4: oh, he totally is. And and and, can- and, if, and the thing is, if 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 um if Raphael's prediction comes in and Dana White's out the door, that's. The perfect opportunity for GSP to both return as the face of the organization, get beaten by Conor McGregor, and then transition into a front office role or some sort of uh, goodwill ambassador for the corporatized UFC.
3: Here's my prediction. Dana White leaves the UFC and and is replaced by Joran Rebney.
0: Dad, oh no, my yeah. god. Please dear God. <laughs>
3: I'm just
4: kidding. I'm just kidding. That guy's a dude, dude. Anyway. Right, so
0: let's see who we have left. We have Mike, you have a prediction coming up and then Schwann. Mike, let's start with you. Yeah, my
4: like I said, my prediction was Conor McGregor versus GSP. Somehow, right, that's, that's Somehow sweet and some way. Somehow, some way the money the money gets 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 uh, sliced and diced and uh they figure out a way to, to to make that fight happen and it's and it's one of the biggest fights that the sports ever seen. A
0: huge fight. Chuan, how can you top that, man? What's your prediction from 20, uh, 2017?
2: I, I don't think I got anything to top it. I, I think um, we're gonna enter 2017. And I I, honest, I honestly think if this person's head's on straight, essentially, I think Rhonda's gonna win the title and there's a good chance she that she pulls the John Elway, Peyton Manning. She wins it and walks off. I could see that. Wow. career champion i could totally see that so are you saying that you think she would retire after friday's fight uh yeah i i I don't i don't think she has a passion for it i think she's doing this to prove something to herself i think it's a match matchup that works for her and i mean if she wants to go for the 45 belt i guess she could but i mean at that point why do it she's only doing holly Holm a favor holly Holm ain't making her no money why why risk that for yourself
0: very true, man. Very true breakdown there, man. So um, they all, they it's gonna be a crazy year.
2: But they all need her. They all complain about her and what she doesn't do. But they all need her. If you don't want, if you don't care about Ronda, go fight someone else. Oh, wait, well, you can't get paid fighting someone else? Then just shut up and know your role, man, and win the fight.
4: And that's why they need Dominic Cruz as their
2: management. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not
0: gonna refute it. <laughs> like um it's been a hell of a show today man this has probably been it's probably going to be our biggest show to date um after our record-breaking show from last week so yeah let's let's i appreciate all you guys for coming on let's go around one last time let us know where you can find your current work where they can find you on on social media and just give yourself another plug um starting with you adam
3: yeah no i had a lot of fun tonight guys definitely good to talk to all of you um follow me on twitter at mm adam martin and uh obviously I'm- Staff right ready for MMA ratings, and I got some stuff coming up for DraftKings as well. So, check that stuff out.
0: Thanks, man. Always, always love following your work. And, uh, Mike, what about you, man?
4: Good night, guys. You can, yeah, you can find me on the internet uh, You can, yeah, on Twitter at MTFIII at the Twitter. Uh, you can also see my infrequent writing mm-hmm. on MMA ratings, but you can see my fingerprints all over the mma rating site we've got big things planned for the year hopefully i can pop in on some more shows and bring my uh brand of humor and insight um to the proceedings and basically bask in Shawan's glory um
1: uh, <laughs> yeah
0: thanks man big and things. um um
1: you can find me on twitter at roy Billington. um currently writing for Sports post that was really bad. I nearly forgot where I was writing. Um, sports post at the moment and a few others coming up, but I'll announce all that stuff on Twitter. And yeah, I've really enjoyed being on, it's been fun. I'm sorry, I've been sleepy for like the last
0: hour. But... <laughs> no, man, you're good.
4: You're a trooper, you're a late night
1: man on, on a
4: Wednesday
0: <laughs> a night. It's Christmas, I'm, I'm able to do these things. Hey, man, we definitely appreciate you, it. We definitely appreciate you big time. Um, Schwan, let us know, man. You're you're uh part of the family now man where can everybody find your work
2: uh you can always find me on twitter uh you put the hashtag lowercase mma ratings you ever have a question about a corner or a fighter or you just want my perspective on it i love having uh conversations side note a friend of the show andrew pearson we had a great back and forth little twitter timeline discussion over the rousey and Nunes fight it was like some real technical strategical stuff so also, you want to follow him. He's the second best follow as far as I'm concerned. But if you're not going to follow me, follow him. He's got some great stuff for you. Um, you can find me on MMA Ratings. I should have an article coming out uh, regarding Rhonda's coach discussing the positives that he brought to her game, which you will not find on any other side. There will be no other site saying the good things that he brought to her game. I can guarantee you that. Nobody else is talking about <laughs> the good things he did for Rhonda Rousey. This is the only place she will find him, And I have facts to back it up. So. You got you to gotta see that part and uh, that piece, excuse me. And when there's events, I'm always live tweeting. Most of the time I'm laying waste to MMA corners and making enemies, but um, I love doing it. I love talking to the fans. Thank you very much for listening to the show. Thank you very much, Raphael, Michael, Adam, Roy, everybody uh, for giving me an opportunity and a platform. You know, I don't, I, y'all do a lot of stuff that makes this possible for me. I just get to come in and say what I think and say what I believe and say what I research and I thank y'all for letting me have the opportunity. It's like, it's a great deal of fun. It's like fun and a lot of stuff has opened up as a result of uh, me being in my show. So I just really appreciate you guys.
0: No, we're definitely glad to have you here. And as always, my name is Rafael Garcia. You can find me at rgarcia underscore sports where I am blabbering about everything from George Carl and his foolishness to uh mma conor mcgregor uh ufc 207 we will we'll be i'll be trying to get some live tweeting out for that but i'll be covering that for fight metric and you can always see um all of my work and right man i'm always busy as Ashwan gives me hard times for him and i i stay because yep a- that, that sounds about right everywhere but here so, um, thank you, all, thank you all for uh, sitting with us today, and um, we appreciate you all. And have a happy New Year, uh, happy, or uh, excuse me, Merry, belated Christmas, and all that other good stuff. Whatever you may celebrate. Um, thanks again. Always catch us at MMA Ratings net, where you can rate the fights and let us know what you think about all the action from UFC to Bellator. Have a great night, everyone.